Yo. Uh. <laughs> wow. you, did, you wrote a good song this week. Welcome to the show. It's going to get real glow. Damn. Bars. Oof. We're going to take a peel. To At a my Jordan peel. heel. And... <laughs> This is gonna drop. All right, it's coming. I don't think this one drops. Oh, oh, you ain't ready for the drop yet. And go. And I got mic on it. <laughs> I bought mic on it. Whoa. Oof. Hunt Zimmer. What the heck? Hey guys. Hello. Wow. Shout out to Lunas for uh, that sweet intro. Yeah. I, you know, I got to say, every week you do a pretty good composition for the intro. That was by far your worst. <laughs> yeah. I, I really just sprung that together at the last yeah, second that shit was bad <laughs> uh, you can definitely tell <laughs> welcome to we bought a mic uh that voice you heard there was not a uh crazy doppelganger, doppelganger from beneath or was it or was it we can't see this person so they I might just have like a creepy there, smile on their face it's uh mr ray rodriguez welcome back to hey, the show hey, hey. Oh, how's it going, man? It's going, it's going, and I'm loving it. Yeah, this is your third time. Um, Back again for another scary movie. Third scary movie in a row. Yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. Well, you was did, Star Wars really that scary? Star Wars is pretty spooky. I woke up very early. Bread. <laughs> yeah, that was scary. We, minute movie. Yeah, me and Ray went yeah. to Altamont at like 10:30. That was scary. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's all sucked. right. Uh, yeah, we're talking Jordan Peele. Us. Um, on this episode of We Bought a Mic, I'm what? Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And I'm Drew Dietzen. Uh Before we get into that, we are following up our nine-part review of Triple Frontier on Netflix. Today is part two of nine. Yes, it's it's Quadruple Frontier today. We're gonna um, be. This is going to be the Affleck episode. Yes. Right? Yes. It's, uh, all it's fat, fat Fleck <laughs> episode. Yeah. We're going to talk about, in every scene that he's not in the scene, where is he? Yes, that's that's what we're gonna try. He's just at the fucking. He's at the side, thing, just like shoving it. his yeah. mouth full of donuts. <laughs> if uh, if you're new here, uh, we like to uh, put time codes in our episode. So if you want to skip forward, pass all the triple frontier talk, and get straight to us, that'll be down below. If you're just aching to know us, explained. 31 Easter eggs revealed, <laughs> then uh, you can just go ahead and skip that. Number but... eight will make you bust. <laughs> if not, stick around. Uh, we got plenty of cool stuff to talk about. We're not talking about Triple Frontier again, are we? No, we're not. Oh, okay. No, no. <laughs> Damn no. it. I was so excited. I'm wearing my Triple Frontier t-shirt. Yeah. We got, we got a lot of cool stuff to get to. Uh, before then, I do want to mention some quick news. Google announced a video game streaming service called Stadia. Yeah. Uh, so we've seen things like this before with something called OnLive. Microsoft and PlayStation have dabbled in this uh, video game streaming where you don't need an actual console to play. But now Google has joined the field in announcing this 
uh, 60 frames per second 1080p streaming service it's basically like netflix but for games so which is hilarious is right this, right it, you know about this uh, is this uh, steam yes i've heard about it no it's which is, no. it's kind of crazy if you ask me because they also like the biggest the best point i've heard being made is they own youtube which can barely run a video yeah. but they also <laughs> want to stream 60 fps 1080p games so that's a good point so um i actually one of my friends co-workers uh knows somebody who actually has the beta for stadia so he's actually it was project tried, stream right yeah um he's actually been like working on it and my old thing because they released this whole announcement video and showed how streamless how seamless and everything it all runs and i was like i don't know about all that but apparently from the beta this guy played he said that it's like it really is like truly seamless like you like Playing it on your phone, you set it down, you hook up to your Chromecast, and it's like, bam, same spot right there. So in theory, this sounds pretty awesome. With just a regular... Yeah, just uh, a Chromecast. Like any Chromecast. Damn. You don't have to buy an well, additional Well, I was going to say just like a regular um, internet connection. Yeah. You don't need like a super expensive... No. Uh, that's that's wild because shit. like Chromecast has so many problems already. Like it, it disconnects. It like it won't can't find the cast half the time. Like... And now they're going to throw games in there. Also, piggybacking off your point, Ray, about how they can't play a video. YouTube also, they're a video site and they can't make it not racist. So they're like, let's get into <laughs> online gaming. <laughs> That's where everyone's not problematic. No, yeah. It's just combine best of both worlds, you know. <laughs> Cut out the middleman. Yeah. I, I think this, Google definitely has the technology to make this like the next big thing. You know, the console killer, the future of video games. But... The thing with video games is the people that are really, really into video games are not going to be into this because they like their hardware. They like their wired connections, no lag, full control over every component of their computer, you know, like the PC gamer master race. Well, that's race. the thing. I think this is going after consoles rather than PC gamers. Because if you're a real PC guy and you have, like, multiple monitors, the whole rig, that's not just for gaming. That's, like, your whole setup for, like, where you spend... A large part of your day because you're on the computer obviously right. like I, I don't it's going to be tough to drag them away but con there are so many people with consoles who are interested in this, this yeah is well i mean this is also i think that one thing that's really working for this is kind of the death of the exclusive games i mean with the exception of nintendo halo you can now play on steam like kingdom hearts which was always a playstation game is now like kingdom hearts 3 was on xbox one like the ex lack of exclusivity in games anymore means that kind of anybody can get the rights to this game and you could just watch like uh ninja just playing a game like doing a like just playing a game on twitch or whatever and then just be like oh i just want to hop in with him and then just like click in and go and, and that's supposed to be really cool like instant. in theory yeah seamless that it's no like loading screens. You don't have to go to like a buy screen or anything like that. You can just click right in and go to the game. I'm kind of hesitant on how seamless this is going to be, especially because it's one thing when you have a beta that's only like a few hundred, maybe a couple thousand people playing it versus like exactly. millions. That's going to take, I don't even know what the actual technology behind the scenes is going to need to be to yeah. support that. That is the ultimate question is, is it going to be playable off the bat? Because uh, it might, you know, it could be great. And if it works, in theory, it's a no brainer. It's awesome. But it could end up being kind of like when the iPhone removed the headphone jack. And it's like, yeah, the future is wireless. But right now, 
AirPods are a million dollars. Also, we don't know how this is going to work with the actual game developers. Are they going to agree to having an overall subscription model like Netflix where, where you just pay like 20 bucks a month and you can play unlimited games? Mm. I don't think game developers are ready yeah, to well, jump on that. Well, I mean, because that. that cuts... It's the same thing with Netflix where unless it is original content, like the pie is so much bigger and then you're just getting such a sliver of it versus just getting... Straight up people buying the physical copies of your game. Yeah. Do you think you're going to get this, Ray? Um, I'm going to wait for like a hot minute. Yeah. And see how it goes. Because I'm also thinking, because like, they're also trying to get into streaming through YouTube. Like, they're trying to fight Twitch on that. And it's like a lot more accessible. Especially with their like YouTube Red Premium BS. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm imagining someone streaming a game from this that's already streaming itself so it's just like this huge overload of like stress on their servers yeah that's they're already that's like wild. not great and i know something else uh that a lot of people talk about is can we trust google as a company can, can we, we trust we... anyone well oh, I, no. I, uh-huh. google is notoriously not very careful with our private information and this is just another they just way. They better PR than Facebook. Yeah, but another way to get thing. into people's homes and and control their media consumption and listen and and uh, target us with ads. That being said, ways. that being said, I'm probably gonna get this day one just because I'm interested and I like trying. Like I got a switch on day one and everything else, so I like to kind of be at the forefront. Yeah. All right. So is there been a release date this year? Yeah, I just I saw 2019. Year. I'm yeah. assuming like holidays. Yeah, I, dude, I can't stuff. wait to tell all my friends on Google Plus about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's get to what we've been consuming in our catch up corner, where we talk about all of the cool things that we've been uh, plugging into our eyeballs. So let's start with you, Ray. What have you been uh, What have you been up to? So I've recently been uh, watching. Little anime called Run with the Wind. Mm. I've actually very, uh, very there's good. a guy at work who uh, is a big anime fan. He loves the show. Okay, so I started watching it again because I do have a Crunchyroll account that I like have been neglecting and I'm like paying for. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> time to get my money's worth. And I've been kind of burnt out because usually I'm a big fan of like sports anime because they're usually like, oh, very clutch. They're just the writing is always very tight. And usually it's all, like, tournament arcs, which is, like, the best thing of any kind of, like, anime, in my opinion. Mm. Because it's just, like, the most hype. But this is actually about, like, a group of, like, college guys, which is, like, usually it's all, like, high school people, which I'm kind of burnt out on. Because I'm not trying to watch stuff about high school boys anymore. Especially when they're Japanese. (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah. You're not allowed to be horny anymore. Yeah, no, no, it's over. The fun is over. <laughs> College, you know, though. the PC warriors. It's, it's, <laughs> okay, it's... all right, let's mute him. <laughs> we gotta mute him. No, no, no. <laughs> but uh, no, it's really, it's really uh, good. Just because most of them, most like sports anime, get into like the really like out there fantasy power moves kind of thing, where like. They're moving like 20 meters in like two seconds, kind of thing. Like, and I'm like, whoa, what's going on? This is just really realistic. It's more like team building. Like, the writing is just so tight. Did you say what sport it is? Oh, no. <laughs> it's uh, marathon running, essentially. Oh, okay. Huh. Yes, yeah, all about running. It's just essentially like. But not running around a track? Running like um, in terrain? 
yeah, it starts off with them like practicing because they have to like qualify for like the big race, and they just like slowly, you know, through like track meets, get better and better. Cool. And eventually, cool. like it's on Crunchyroll. You know, go on, yeah, Crunchyroll, dude. It's so good though, just because like the um, they like start off with just everyone. Usually, the the whole trope of a sports anime is they like first like. 15 maybe episodes or them like assembling their team <laughs> and this is like cleared up in like two to three and you're just like in the story and you're just like in it right away that is that is cool a lot of animes take their time <laughs> with the assembly mm-hmm. yeah process can take like years <laughs> right and this is i feel like very accessible for people who are just into like just shows like like i said it's not like there's no like power up moves there's nothing like real crazy there's no fan service you know okay so it's not like inside baseball shit, you know? Like, no, no, no. Did you watch the whole thing? It looks like it's only 23 episodes. It's, yeah, it's 23 episodes in. I'm on episode 19. I've literally, like, started watching other things on Crunchyroll because I don't want to catch up. Like, it's very bad. You don't want to like, binge it. it. Oh, I binged it, like, real. Because like, there was, like, 16 episodes when I started watching it. And I, like, caught up right away. So I'm like taking a big break. <laughs> Baller. Yeah, I actually I'm interested in that. I've been trying to dive into animes for years and I don't I feel like something is wrong with me. Yeah, I tried to recommend yeah, well, at this Neon point, Genesis. There's just like so like with it just getting more and more popular, there's just so many like subgenres that like you can find like anything you like are normally interested in like a movie or like normal TV show, I guess. You'll find it okay. in like yeah, the yeah, well, the I mean the show. the thing about it not being taking its time too much interests me because when I was a kid, I I had trouble watching like Dragon Ball because it was a lot of like, hey, I think I'm gonna fight that guy in like three years. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so much. Dragon Ball Z is kind of. I've actually been trying to like rewatch Dragon Ball Z because I have a Hulu uh, account and it like I can uh, Hulu with live TV, so I can record uh, like DVR stuff. So I'll record episodes and I don't swim. It's kind of a trudge to get through episodes. Right? It's like an eight episode arc of just fighting one dude and then just like internal thoughts thinking yeah. the whole time. And they're just like, <sighs> <sighs> yeah. And then there's like 50,000 characters in that show. So you're just constantly hopping around with different people and you're like, oh, yeah, what is Bulma? Up yeah. To? The, the pacing of Max Keeble just rotted my brain because <laughs> it's super yeah. fast. Yeah, it's so would, quick. Okay, so, so that was uh, Running with the Wind. And you have something else you want to talk about, right? Yes, Final Fantasy Nine on Switch. On the Switch, remastered oh, for the yeah. Switch. A nice uh, twenty-one dollars for like a ten-year-old game or something. I don't know. Yeah. I never played it when it first came out, to be honest. So have you like played any other Final Fantasies? Have you guys ever played a Final Fantasy game? Oh or? yeah, I I love Final Fantasy seven, ten, fifteen. I've kind of skipped around. I've actually never played nine, so it was really interesting getting it wherever I saw it was remastered for the Switch, but I haven't gotten a chance to get it yet. Would you recommend it? Yes, it's my first actual like numbered Final Fantasy. I've only played one before. Oh wow! Which is uh, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, which was on the GameCube. Oh yeah, I remember that game. Yeah, it's very crazy. You needed to have the uh, Game Boy Advance link cable and a Game Boy Advance to play it. Really? I didn't know that yeah. was. Th- I never actually played Crystal Chronicles. Yeah, that was the first game that uh, like had that like feature. They like made it for it. 
and it's this whole for people who don't know the GameCube, you could attach like your like Game Boy Advance to it through like this little like controller cable. Oh yeah, and, I remember that shit. Yeah, yeah. So for Crystal Chronicles, you needed to have it, and it was like this huge like multiplayer game also. So like, but if you want to do all four people, everyone needed the cable and mm. a Game Boy Advance. <laughs> oh wow. So it was like not too too popular, but that's luckily some, that's some mid two thousand shit. <laughs> mid two yeah, thousands yeah. Nintendo. <laughs> oh yeah, going for that money. Damn. But luckily, my brother got one. Player got one each, like already by that time. So, so this is kind of like a throwback little, to uh, that after it come out. So we got it for like the low. But yeah, that game is insane, and which is like also coming out for the Switch eventually. So if anyone. You know, I was trying to get on that train. Let me know because I'm definitely buying that when it comes <laughs> out. And apparently, it's going to be online, so you don't need a Game Boy Advance anymore. Hell yeah. Well, that's good to know that you don't need a, <laughs> an old Game Boy Advance yeah. to like plug in yeah. to your Switch. I uh, I'm definitely interested in Final Fantasy Nine. Um, I love Final Fantasy Fifteen, which came out a couple years ago. Played Final Fantasy Seven, Ten. Um, Seven's so, coming out soon for yeah, you. Seven is yeah, that's coming out soon. But I've always been interested in nine because I've heard that's one of the best entries in the series. So check it out. Yeah, the story is very cool. Uh, gameplay wise, like I don't know, it's, it's all turn based, slow, right? But thankfully, they give you like options to speed up the game, okay. like so you can just kind of like get to all the good parts, which is great for me because I don't always have like the most time to play games, which is why I have a Switch. Also, yeah, perfect <laughs> for that. Cool. All right, yeah. so Final Fantasy Nine and Running with the Wind. That's what Ray's been catching up on. Wasting um, my time. Well, it sounds like you're very uh, woke and very um, uh, Asian aware. Oh yes. my god! What the fuck was that? This is, to, it's it's Asian content on that part. <laughs> It's a Japanese game. You're going to have your work cut out for you editing today on this podcast. Listen, as a Colombian, Ernest is absolved from any... It's <laughs> Final Fantasy is Japanese, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't... I You don't, can't say the J word, Ernest. It's not <laughs> from... A, yeah, I don't think of it as from a country. It's from Earth. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It's, very, it's, Earth. A human, it's a human game, yeah. right? We're yes. all... We're all Final <laughs> Fantasy, if you think about it. Yeah. All right, Drew, so uh, what have you been watching? <laughs> all right, well, me and uh, Ernest uh, separately got to see early uh, showings of Shazam. Um, or Shazam! <laughs> okay. That's that's the proper way to say so it. So we need to be, like, insanely brief with this because we don't want to spoil. But I do... It's in two weeks. Yeah, so we don't really need to talk about it much. I do want to say, though, I was very pleasantly surprised by it, and I think you agree. Yeah, I, I think... I'm going to say it now. Uh go and see this movie it's great it's is it just, better than wonder woman um i don't know maybe yes i th think so wonder woman had higher highs but okay. overall this is like a much more entertaining this was wonder so. woman still had a big cgi monster fight in it so yeah. that's it's hard to avoid that honestly yeah. but well it's, this this, is this a, kind of does yeah so this is bit. i mean the highlights of this movie are that is it's charming it's light-hearted while still having stakes um tonally it's very similar to ant-man the ant-man movies it's it has all the tie-ins it has all the villain establishment 
but really it's more about having a, a good time at the theaters it's kid friendly despite like they you know it's pg-13 they say shit or whatever but it's it's definitely aimed for like a younger audience and it's just i think it was just a good time like I, you can nitpick it absolutely there are issues but it was a lot better than i thought it would be that's the big thing is my expectations were so low that i walked away from this movie really loving it because i didn't expect it to be so good yeah and it it almost feels like a throwback to like the Spider-Man Raimi oh, movies. Okay, and, Ooh, and I like that. yeah, because of how kind of uh, just the cornball factor of it, like it sort of embraces yeah. this this cheese. It's silly. It's I a mean, silly that's movie. Perfect. It's a superhero movie. It's uh, people dressed up in colorful. Yep. Yeah, it might as well be types. absurd because it's absurd. Okay. Well, that kind of answers my question, which was. Was it actually good, or was it good for a DC superhero movie? I I really had a great time. The, uh, yeah, the okay. humor works super well. Where, like, if it were a Marvel movie, where would it be in the Marvel universe Ooh. spectrum? Probably because I feel like we just upper, we, upper tier. But, okay, we but, grade we grade DC movies on a scale. <laughs> I feel like where it's like, yeah, you know, nice steep that, curve. that didn't make me want to kill myself. So I guess it was pretty good for a DC <laughs> yeah, movie. It, it kind of honestly kind of reminded me a little bit of. Thor Ragnarok in okay. the sense that it's almost like a parody of a superhero movie. Yeah, but it's also still a hero movie. Yeah. Uh, also, I we're going on record right now. This pod stands Jack Grazer. Oh, I love Jack he Grazer. Is, he, like, great. steals this movie he, pretty much. He stole it. He totally won the movie yeah. It. Sorry, Finn Wolfhard. <laughs> Retire, bitch. Uh, and he, he won this movie, too. Well, he didn't quite win it because Zachary Levi is putting in work He's like so he, funny. he does it yeah. the, there's there's some weaker performances and weaker writing but this i really enjoyed it uh but we can move on well the, the last thing i'll say is that it also has a lot of heart and i did not expect that i thought it was going to be silly from front to back but there's a component of the story um that really got to me that really involves regular people which is something that a lot of hero movies have abandoned. You know, if you look at the MCU movies, they're about superheroes. They're not they don't focus on any normal non-powered people. Yeah. And there there used to be a time and I just keep going back to those Raimi movies where the regular folk, the people of New York, they were part of the story and we would see them, we would see the regular people as like part of the tapestry of the film and the story. And this movie, like, fully embraces that and just goes with it and absolutely yeah. soars. And as far as nitpicks, we'll, we'll get to it when we actually review it. But uh, overall, enjoyable movie. Uh, worth seeing. Uh, I want to talk about Pen15. So I watched the first episode of this show, like, a couple weeks ago. And yeah. it was really good. And then I just kind of it fell off. Like, I forgot to kind of yeah. keep watching it. But... So this is a, a Hulu comedy series. Um I want to I want to shout out the two women who they co-created this, they co-write it and they co-star in it. Um so this is their show. Uh this is a middle school comedy. Wait, they star in it? Yeah. yeah. As middle schoolers? Yeah. Yes. That's Okay, so a lot oh. of the, this is a hilarious show. They're they're like probably 30 and they're playing themselves in middle school and everyone else at the middle school is an actual kid. <laughs> <laughs> so so there's oh, like, like that one British show but like not problematic. It, knows yeah, kind of. And you could definitely, like, it kind of makes you uncomfortable sometimes, but oh, mo mostly it's just hilarious that you see them, like, pining after these, like, 13-year-old, like, quote-unquote, hunky dude. It's kind of like in eighth grade, where, like, the guys they pine after, you're just like, oh, man, that's that's a middle school guy. Yeah. You know? 
but this show overall i think is unbelievably good it's very uncomfortable it's hard to watch plenty of people are not going to be able to watch it super raunchy uh it's it's raunchy but not in a way of like big mouth big mouth is it's about puberty but big mouth is joke heavy like jokes are being told it's not like it's not just situations that are very funny or lines that are funny it's jokes this show uh, what happens in it is funny. The storylines are funny. The dialogue is hilarious without containing actual jokes. Okay. Um, because it's written from this place of, I think, real purity. Like, it's this insanely honest show. Um, it's bizarre. To the point of, like, being extremely cringy. Yeah, points. of course. Like it's... it's very uncomfortable. It's hard to watch. It can be very, like, honestly sad at points. Because um, middle school can be very sad. But... It's it's so unique in every way. Uh, I I want everyone to watch this, uh, and then if you can't watch it, you'll know pretty. How many episodes? It's one season. Um, they're shorter episodes. I don't know how many, but half it's, hour. Yeah, it's probably like ten, eight to twelve, okay. something like that. But it's it's Maya uh, Erskine who steals the show, in my opinion. She was she has been on a few things, and she's always amazing. She was on Man Seeking Woman. She's his ex girlfriend. Um, so good. She steals season two. Away yeah, from and then Jay Bear's and then uh, Anna Conkle as well. And these, so these are two people who get like work in Hollywood, and they just they got together. They made the show. It's produced by the Lonely Island and also Bob Odenkirk's production company, and it is so so good. Like it's it's a truly original show. It's rooted in life. It's not over the top, uh, except in terms of uh, cringiness. And you'll know very quickly whether or not you can watch the show. Is that that's all I'll say? Like ten minutes in, if you're out, you're out. But so you you compared it to Big Mouth, right? Yeah, so, but but well, it's well because just because it's a, it, of the premise, it's a middle school yeah. puberty comedy show. But it's insanely different from Big Mouth. Okay, because uh, I was gonna ask, like, does it feel held back because it doesn't no, get to do all the animated? Not shit? at all. Is it is it's an artistic entity. Like it is its own thing, and it's doing something so different and so genuine that there is more than enough space for both of these shows to exist. Like this show is, is really special to me. Like it's awesome. It, I gotta it, check it out. It's making choices that are like from like directing cinematography, writing uh, just plot lines. The acting choices made are all like whole cloth original. And that's, that's really rare. That's why I like high maintenance so much. Right. Um, so another show that's on Hulu that's getting the, like a similar type of buzz right now is uh, Shrill, and this is also that's the eighty Bryant show, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's I've, an, seen, I've seen so many ads for this. Yeah, it's an eighty Bryant um, comedy show, um, and I I really I love eighty Bryant. I think she's very underappreciated on SNL just because as a whole SNL is not doing well. She's always good though. She's extremely funny. Uh, this show kind of disappointed me though. Um, it is, <laughs> and cut out that. Sorry, that was well, okay, I'm just gonna say one of us just farted. I'm not gonna say who it was. Can you smell it through the mic? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Anubis. It kind of. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's it kind of disappointed me just because this show. There are a lot of this show. It is. It's. You know, one of those shows that's piggybacking off of the Apatow wave of like Freaks and Geeks, Love on Netflix, uh, Girls, but it's, I don't think it's quite as good as any of those. I didn't watch the whole season, I'll say that. I watched three or four episodes, and uh, essentially the, the storyline is based on a nonfiction book by this uh, reporter for, for a magazine who, it, it's essentially about her, you know, being in a very like overweight woman, and I only say that because it ties into the plot very heavily. 
um, taking control of her own life and not letting that hold her back. Um, the issue is they didn't nail the character down. We, we, it, the character is not, it, they couldn't decide like, is this character going to be anxious at first and then go through this transformation? Uh, because that's what the show's premise is. But from the very beginning, she is making choices that are just so out there that the veneer of reality is gone for me. Like, it's trying to be one of those shows where, like, it's it's closer than a sitcom to reality. And you're supposed to be like, oh, she's just, like, this awkward girl. But then she, like, you know, she pisses on a pregnancy test in, like, a CVS. And she just kind of storms out of the bathroom. She's like, hey, this is wrong because it's positive. I'm definitely not pregnant. And it's like, that is, like, th that is Ooh. bad comedy. Like, that's not funny. Um, and it's not good character writing because if this is supposed to be a person, no one's ever done that. Right. Especially not someone who is about to go through a journey of self-realization. Like that is the, the veneer is gone for me after, after moments like these. And there are a few of them. And um, it's not trying to be like SNL weird. No, it, sketch it's, humor. it's trying to be like love, which was like, I, I'm not a huge fan of love either. Honestly, it's, it's just, you know, it's very awkward and it's, it's in entertainment similarly like she works for a magazine mm -hmm. uh and it's trying to it's trying to say hey we're the we're the edgy new sitcom that's like more real and it's but it's just not more real did and you watch all try hard i i watched like four episodes i think and it's not bad i don't i don't want to say that it's bad but the people who work on this show like i said i love ad bryant the whole cast is great patty harrison uh who's a this uh comedian i think she's going to blow up in the next two years she's in this like the writers come from like parks and rec they come from all over the place and it's just one of those shows where they don't put together something well do you think that maybe this is kind of a parks and rec situation where season one is like finding their footing and then it'll get better from here is there is there like potential for it to get better or is it kind of it is what it is i hope so uh i hope it gets better because i like everyone involved with this uh However, I just, I didn't, like, it didn't, it was not half as original as it thought it was. That's my problem with it, is the story is extremely, like, you know, it's a, it's a uh, representation thing. Like, it's, we just don't have shows like that that show this specific journey. But the, the comedy of it is not working. Damn. Um, and that just, it bummed me out because the, I want it to be good so badly. Uh, but... I don't know. It didn't quite come together, and it's not bad, but I'm not going to continue watching it. All right, so that's Shrill, Pen15, Hulu, and Shazam in theaters April 5th. So that's what Drew's been up to. Yeah. Hunter? Um, so I'm going to kind of go through this quickly. I've been watching the new season of Queer Eye. Me too. Have you guys? Okay, so you've also been watching it. Ray, have you checked out the new season of Queer Eye? I haven't. Really, I mean, I've been seeing stuff about it and stuff, you know, like a lot of it's a meme heavy show, and I like that, but I haven't actually seen it. <laughs> you so, haven't seen the previous seasons? No, no, okay. I mean, like the old stuff, yeah, but not like oh, the like the, the Bravo channel, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, watch good. this. This is so much better than the than the Bravo show. Um, this is, I really think this is the best season yet. I've seen pretty much most of these episodes like twice at this point. Oh, um, through the whole season? Yeah, through the whole season. Dang. Um, I've been watching the show like to go to sleep at night and everything else just because it's such a, it's such an uplifting show. Um, they do a couple of really unique things that they haven't done before. They've kind of dabbled with not just, um, 
making over straight men and the first in uh, season two they had a uh, a woman they did their first woman with this uh, group of the fab five uh, this year they have a couple of different women. Oh, another person in season two they had was they had a transgender uh, man that they kind of uh, took over their lives. But season three they have a couple of different uh, women that they uh, Tiana. One of them was so unique. It's uh, the first episode of the season. They uh, make over this like very country bumpkin girl who says that she just likes to like shoot squirrels and like. It's somebody who you would think, like, just, like, looking at them, like, oh, yeah, this is person's, like, extremely homophobic and, like, Trump voting. Like, fuck this person. But then, like, this show makes you kind of fall in love with the people and because this show is, like, about helping them discover their own inner beauty. And that's one thing that's amazing. MVP of the show, MVP of the show is Karamo. Really? Without a doubt, so. because everybody else will do certain things. You know, Jonathan, I love his personality, but he's at the end of the day, he's just giving them a haircut. Um, <laughs> Tan will just give somebody spicy. nicer clothes. And like, I love every member of the Fab Five, even Anthony. I've come around to just really he's, love Anthony. He's changed. This um, season. Anthony's easily my favorite. Uh, he's not even close to being my favorite, but hunk. I still like him. Yeah, he, he is. Gets a, some beauty shots this season. Yeah. He's like flexing. Well, he for did the a, camera. I think a okay, GQ. He did now. a GQ. <laughs> he did like a GQ cover or something like that, where he like is all shirtless and yeah. beefy. He and heard your like, Yo, link me real quick. Just for <laughs> this, for he heard your he heard your beef hunter that you thought he was straight, and he was just like, nope, I gotta make sure about this and <laughs> make sure people Can't know. Straight shame me. One, uh, I think my favorite episode of this season was uh, they take over uh, Jones Barbecue. I don't know if you've seen this episode yet. It's Dude, a, I cried. I was so much. I've never <laughs> cried so much watching a queer episode, but this because it's these uh, two. Um, african-american women who run this uh barbecue shop in kansas city and they remake they like redesign their whole uh barbecue place they actually bottle their like father's sauce that they put on everything else and then one of the women has like really messed up teeth and they actually give her a new smile and everything so beautiful it's so oh, I saw a clip of that touching. yeah i almost cried it's so so beautiful to watch and another big theme that they've had this season is a lot of people with kids because i mean one thing they've touched on it before but whenever you have to take care of other people you often don't take care of yourself and it kind of you can't really take care of other people to the best of your ability unless you are taking care of yourself yep. that's why i think karamo is so important is because he changes people's uh, mental health, and he improves that, which is kind of more important than anything else. Yeah, the episode where he has that guy write all of the negative things he thinks about himself on yeah. the mirror. Or um, there's another one where there's this one guy who's like kind of lacked all the self confidence. His mom died whenever he was twelve, whenever he was ten years old, and his sister's kind of taking care of him. And he has him build up this wall of everything in his life that's kind of taking him down. And he just has him tear down the wall, and it's so powerful yeah. just watching something like that. I I cannot recommend the show enough. The unspoken MVP is Bobby because Bobby usually gets the least amount of screen time out of anybody in the show, mostly because he's working like 18 hour days to redesign their entire home in three days. He's like tearing down <laughs> walls and like putting down plywood. Yeah, actually, Bobby's carpet. my favorite. Bobby does so much work and he doesn't get he gets some screen. He actually gets more time to breathe in this uh, season than he does in a lot of other ones, especially in the barbecue episode. Yeah, and a couple he, other ones. he has but, that Christian 
Nixon background where he was kicked out of his home for being gay oh, because his family, like, because of their religion, they did not approve of it. And he connects with this one girl who had went through the same thing because she was a lesbian uh, and had to come out and she was kicked out. And those moments are like where the show really finds ways to be a message show without completely uprooting itself and becoming indulgent in that sort of thing, like overindulgent in that sort of thing. So it's still this fun, poppy, like breezy reality show, but it'll get you in the feels with these really human touching stories. Yeah, no, I mean, there's also uh, another one of my favorite moments from this season. I think it's in the back half, so I don't know if you've gotten to it yet, but uh, he's uh, helping this one woman kind of redesign her life, and she has a son. And uh, instead of, like, remaking her home where he thinks she wants to have Bobby help build her this community center for the church and Bobby is really hesitant about it and you can feel that first because he's like I was outcast from my church I used to go there every day and like whenever he realized that he was gay he would like go up to the altar and like pray for God to change him because he was like I I don't want to be this way like I'm gonna be like shunned by God and everything else and he has this really real moment where he's talking with the mom and whenever he's talking with the son who is a gay black man about this struggle that they're having to it's just this show is is perfect like i wouldn't change a single thing about this show it is so so good it's so powerful there are some kind of uh cliche reality show moments you know where they do like some editing tricks to kind of uh wipe over what really happened just to make better tv but those kinds of things you they're very but easy also to sometimes off. sometimes they play with it in an interesting way like in the first episode there's a thing where uh they're like trying to have a date night with the mo- with the oh and the anthony wife. shows up and anthony is just like oh i'll be right back guys and then he shows up on the tv as they're watching they're like oh that's where he went and then he comes back and he's been so he's like oh so what did i miss and they're like wow it took you a long time the fact that now it's daytime and now it's, it was night there like they still kind of play with the yeah. tropes in a fun way uh before you move on i just wanted to say that uh karamo is great but he's a samsung ad this season so because <laughs> oh. he doesn't have a thing to hold because jonathan <laughs> Can hold like a hair dryer or a razor. Anthony can, you know, be chopping veggies or something. But Karamo doesn't have like a thing, so they just show him holding a, a Galaxy phone. Yeah, phones are where <laughs> culture comes from, yeah. Grandpa. I'm on Twitter. <laughs> so yeah, Queer Eye, it's great. It's Netflix. it's great. Um, I hope that we don't have to wait another year for a season. We got two seasons last year. I heard they're going so. to Australia. Well, they did or, a special in Australia. Oh, that's what it they was. did a special in Australia um, a few months back. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, this season they actually went outside of the Atlanta area, went to the Kansas, Missouri area. Mm-hmm. Please come to Florida. Please remake my life. I'll do whatever. I'll live like a goddamn sloth if I have to. Oh my just god! Just come into my life. Yeah, just now start. That. Can you remake? I want Bobby to come in here and like build us a podcast studio. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bobby, if you're listening, which you're not. How crazy would it be to have all five I'll of them on the show? Oh. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that would be amazing. I mean, honestly, that would be the move. Kind of like, I, that musician kid who went on, like the really young guy the, that had like the weird aunt. You remember? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. He partially he was on there. I don't know if his aunt. I'm sure she hooked it up. Like he was plugging himself. Like clearly, <laughs> we can cool, do that. Daytime TV. We yeah, I know. Like we can just be like, slobs, and then they'll come and plug our shit for free. That's the move. 
as the move. All right, what else you got, honey? That um, it? That's it. Okay. All right, so I'm going to fly <laughs> through mine. Um, a true ally. So we can get to our review of us. First of all, um, I just want to take a moment. Gong. R.I.P. R.I.P. Crashing on HBO. <laughs> Killed by Twitter. We hardly knew you. Did you finish it? The I final did finish season? it. The final episode has John Mulaney in it. It's called Mulaney. That's the name of the episode. That's pretty funny. And um, it's like one of the best episodes of the whole series because we get to see Mulaney be like a dick, right? A dick. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a huge asshole to Pete. And, uh, you know, it was a fun show. Perfect, like, down the middle show. It's not like trash TV, but it's not like prestige art either. And you can just enjoy it on this very, like, relaxed, middle-of-the-road sort of watching. And I really appreciate that. We don't really have too many shows like that anymore. Yeah, I mean, know? unfortunately, that's kind of... I I said to you, to you guys whenever it uh, first got uh, canceled, was that this kind of makes sense for HBO. Not that it's a bad show or anything like that, but HBO needs to take more home run swings with Game of Thrones ending. So... Yeah. Crashing is taking away a time slot from something else that could be the next big thing. And they know Crashing is never going to be that thing. So even if it is good for what it is, HBO needs more like big bangers yeah. than that. Yeah. Fortunately. So I really liked it. You know, it's not a huge, epic, crazy important show, but I really enjoyed it. And it ended on a great high note with that millennium. How many episode. dragons? Uh, you know, just one. Just the one. Damn. It was it was still a little baby dragon on Pete's shoulder Can't the wait. whole time, <laughs> just whispering in his ear, you know, telling him jokes yeah. to say on stage. So that's cute. Yeah, just keeping it cute. <laughs> Good. Uh, next, catastrophe is back on uh, Prime Video with shit. its final season. It's its fourth and final season. This is one of the easiest shows to watch because each season is only six episodes and they're like half an hour long. So you can breeze through the whole season yeah. in like three hours. Um, Catastrophe is an example of a show in the vein of kind of like the shrill shows that I was talking about that absolutely nails its tone. Like it knows its characters. It trusts them. It trusts its writing. Um, it really does everything right. Yeah. Me. Well, it's it's stars are the writers. So we got Rob Delaney, Sharon Horgan yeah. telling the story about um, love in a very brutally honest way where these two people just sort of end up together because of an unexpected pregnancy and they just decide to go for it to just take the leap and even though they don't really know each other they decide to have kids together because they kind of fucked up and ended <laughs> up in this place uh so there's a lot of of friction in their relationship but you you connect with that friction uh in in a really humorous way because this is one of the funniest shows on TV. Rob Delaney is so Ooh. fucking funny. And this season be it's the last season. I haven't finished it yet. I'm maybe two episodes away. But you get this sense that at a certain point in life, uh relationships become so strained that they just start to disappear and 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 rip apart and some of the other characters on this show that aren't our main two leads uh are in different stages of separation or desperation in their relationship and our two main characters uh, rob and sharon they argue a lot but they're still they're still together and they're still fighting through it and it just 
I really like seeing that side of shows about relationships yeah. and love. It's great. And like you said, it's a great show to burn right through. Yeah. Like we've there multiple times we've watched seasons in a day. Yeah. Like you and me just sitting there. We don't even realize it's over. That's how I was introduced to this show. When you when you showed it to me. Yeah. And we oh wait. I'm thinking of transparent. Never mind. No, but, I'll take credit for this. Yeah. Keep going. But but it's kind of the same idea of like you just sort of uh are so invested in these characters and the story and each episode ends and you just can't wait to ends on great cliffhangers that's a big plus another big plus with this show i i read uh it was in a review and it was so true it's one of the rare shows where if a character tells a a funny joke the other character will laugh and instead of just being like oh you like it's it's a layer of reality where they are both actually they're funny their characters are funny and they will acknowledge to each other that they are funny. Yes. It's it's really in a really good pocket, I feel like, of of reality versus absurdity. It has a layer of British intellectual wittiness to it and also insane, stupid, low comedy. Uh it's I think it's just it's squeaked in the cut. It's in a great little area. And it's not afraid to get dark. Cause there are some scenes that get fucking dark. Cause Rob is an alcoholic and that starts to sort of blossom into his character and to his struggles that the fact that he is on this constant journey of sobriety and that can really turn into some dark dark places so the show still manages to be hilarious while taking these deep dark turns so wait in the show he's an alcoholic both he he's he was yeah, an alcoholic. Yeah, no, I know and... him mainly from like Twitter, Twitter and through yeah. comedy and stuff. So like, yeah. I knew like I know about him like personally. I have yet to like check out his show though. You I know really, Deadpool too. I really recommend yes. it. Yes, <laughs> I really really recommend it. It, it, it. The first couple seasons are more centered around these two people sort of meeting and you know trying to figure each other out and whether or not the relationship is even going to work. Uh, and then uh, that's kind of the first season. And then the second season, the children are introduced and it's all about like dealing with with young kids and, and you know, being a new parent and all that. Mm. Um, but this fourth and final season really leans into some of these darker personal themes with uh, the addiction and all that stuff. And also just the the uh, the other side of it, the, the Sharon character, because she's not an addict. But she's dealing with a husband who's an addict and she feels like she needs more help raising these kids. But when the the husband, the dad has to go to AA or has community service from a court uh, judging ruling, you know, then he can't really be there and he can't be a present father. So, you know, dark themes still super hilarious, funny on a show, uh, show. catastrophe on Prime. All right, show with similar tone. Yeah. <laughs> last last thing on here uh, before we take a break, I wanted to talk about leaving Neverland again because uh, I finished it. It's a four hour two part documentary on HBO. I talked about it a little bit last week, um, but this is the Michael Jackson documentary that it features two men who were sexually abused by Michael Jackson when they were children at the Neverland Mansion at the the ranch. And uh, overall, you know, I I went into this with a lot of apprehension and I didn't really want to see it. I didn't feel like it was something that I wanted to really sit through, especially, you know, four hours of it. But I can't do that. Yeah. But over than me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my girlfriend ended up having to convince me because I really did not want to see it. Um, 
So she convinced me, and I'm I'm glad she did. I'm glad she did because this is a story worth hearing. These men are really risking themselves by uh, outing the the evil nature monstrosity of one of the biggest pop stars in history in the planet, and that's a big deal. You know, Michael Jackson. People like we saw on the news this week. People like Barbara Streisand are standing up for him still, dude. She that was, was the wildest take that I've was, ever seen. Yeah, that was crazy. What did she say? She was like, "He'll his sexual needs are are his what, needs. Yeah, his like, needs are his needs. Those kids, no. those kids love to be there. Oh, that's you uh, <laughs> could like, at least he didn't murder you. That was literally what she was yeah. like. Oh, they grew up and they got married and had kids and they didn't. He didn't kill them. So that so means fine. That means they're fine. I mean, one of the one of the biggest takeaways is that you know the the moms are a big part of who's to blame because you know these kids didn't just show up at Michael's doorstep on their own accord. They were brought there by their parents, yeah. and their parents, their their moms enabled Michael to sleep in the same bed with these kids and to be alone in the same room with them and to have them over for sleepovers and all this shit. So uh, from the mom's perspective, how shitty, how terrible must it be to live with that and to have to put that own blame on yourself and to accept that you were part of the reason why this all happened. You let it happen. Not only did you let it happen, but you basically initiated it. Yeah, my uh, one of my least favorite uh, takes from the defending Michael Corner is, uh, well, you know, it was a different time. This isn't like somebody made like a uh, like un like an uncharacter like a bad joke. They make like a Louis joke or something like that. Like, no, this is a person who like diddled kids. That's bad. Any year in which you're alive, yeah. Like, that's when, not... when did that start becoming Socrates fucked right. kids, and that's like people were like, ah, it's a different time. No, you still shouldn't fuck children. Man, well, this the... fucking PC generation. The the I'm thing, telling you, dog. The thing about it being a different time is that Michael was still alive, and he was still adored, and you know it, it was a little bit past the height of his stardom. But he was still Michael Jackson. Yeah. And I think that's like one of the biggest things into this whole thing is that he his star power, his celebrity is was completely unmatched. You know, there I don't think there's anyone in show business right now that even comes close to to how successful and popular Michael Jackson was. Yeah. King Cruel no maybe. No one's going to get to that level. <laughs> exactly. No one's going to get to that level because there's just it's so much more spread out Yeah, now. it was the monoculture. And he was in the limelight from such a young age. Like, everyone knew him since he was, like, eight or whatever. Yeah. I just, like, I really wish that Michael was alive, not only to just see, like, how the estate would handle everything, but also just I want... I, he needs to have his Bill Cosby moment. Like, he needs to have that kind of but atonement dead, and so. he, it's Dig never going him to happen up. Dig him. <laughs> yes. take him up and Drag throw him. his body into We're a gonna cell redo thriller but in the worst way <laughs> oh, no. oh no literally drag him yeah yeah um drag that corpse I, another interesting wrinkle here i read a great art a piece about this the media narrative regarding him shifted in the past few years to almost absolve him uh f- like throughout our childhood i knew him as a pedophile it was like Michael Jackson is a pedophile. Everyone knows yeah, it's him. a weird joke. Kind but he, of thing. yeah, everyone knows it. But he's yeah, not. Everybody knew the South Park version um, of him. Yeah. <laughs> However, what happened is uh, the media ended up shifting their their focus view po- very possibly through the Jackson State, you know, PR pushing mm-hmm. them to have this thing of like, 
well, those kids were interviewed in unfair circumstances. They were interviewed for like hours on end and like all these cops just were trying to coerce them into saying this thing. And that's the angle they started taking. The past few years, it started sounding like from a lot of media sources that he didn't do it. So this documentary is a big deal because it's coming out as if to say, no, 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 no. They're adults now and they are not being coerced. They are saying exactly what happened. Well, and the, the whole reason why this is happening now is because both of these men now have kids that have reached the age when they first encountered Michael Jackson. And they're looking at their own children and they're seeing their development level and their maturity. And something clicked where they're like, oh, that what happened to me was so monstrous and and horrible and unspeakable because to them the level of abuse was so deep that they didn't see it as abuse to them it was love and one of them uh jimmy he's still grappling with that and he says that in the documentary that he still loves michael and he still cares about him and misses him even though he's participating in this documentary to tell his story a, a huge part of him still feels like he really cares about Michael and loves him and, and had a, a genuine, real relationship with him. How fucked up is that? You know, That's... that 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 Michael was so embedded into into abusing them that it's likely that the, mentally they will never fully recover. You know, yeah, that's, that's what so always gets up. me about like other people's reaction to it. It's like, why didn't they just, you know, why are they just now mad? Why is it like, why this? Why that? And it's just like that kind of like when that kind of trauma happens to certain people, everyone's gonna take it way differently. Yes, and just compart like just like compartmentalize it differently and everything. Like, it's and and it's fucked up. And money plays a part in it too. They say that you know. Uh, especially when the the trial originally happened, that people were being offered money to uh, testify against Michael, um, and that was the big narrative that that kind of truncated and, and totally discredited the people that were accusing him back then. And the reality, like now, you know, twenty years later, is that they were telling the truth. And these other boys that were coming out and speaking in favor of Michael, like Macaulay Culkin, he was one of the people that testified and said that Michael never touched him and never did anything. They were lying. Like, that's what Wade says. The other guy, it's Jimmy and Wade, the two guys featured in the documentary. Wade says, I lied in court to protect Michael because I loved him and I didn't want to see him go to prison. Damn. Wow. Well, I'm I'm glad this came out. I'm yeah. glad this documentary is out. I'm I don't know if I'm going to watch it. It's rough. It, yeah, it's a tough sit, guys. But so I'm I'm here to kind of spread the <sighs> word about what it all means, how you know I am kind of processing. The biggest thing is is just the 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 connotation of what the word abuse means. You know, when people hear that word, it's usually it conjures images of like physical abuse. Yeah. And, like, yeah. People being thrown around and punched and forced and, into things. Exactly. And, you know, like... Exactly. And and the biggest takeaway here is that abuse a lot of times isn't that. And it's a lot of times it's tied to positive uh, emotions. Yeah. 
So it's really fucked up. Yeah, and a lot of the time, rape is not like a brutal, violent act. It is just an act of extreme coercion. Mm-hmm. I mean, with a minor, it's just not even like a question. It's just because always rape. Yeah, consent is impossible. Yeah, at yeah that point. but even with adults, it's like it's it's an act of you know letting them know, hey, it's not like I'm gonna do anything, but like you know, what are you gonna do about it if I, you know what I mean? Like and over long, long yeah. Periods this is why this is why a lot of people realize after the fact that they were raped because they were like, oh, I, I you know, it, they were uncomfortable and they didn't want to do it and they said no, but it ended up happening. But it wasn't violent, so they're like, well, I didn't get raped then. Exactly. There's a lot of misinformation swirling around this topic, so this is a great documentary mm-hmm. to come out right now. And and the other thing is just the whole cultural culture of uh, fame and celebrity, and I hope that this is where this conversation starts to go is where do these things begin what leads to them where does it all root itself in and i think it's there's gonna have to be once everything starts coming out and it's already coming out about all these people being shitty and pedophiles and rapists and abusers then i hope that the conversation goes to what is fame doing to people how is our obsession with celebrities and fame really affecting people and and changing them and hurting them psychologically. Yeah. Because Michael Jackson wasn't born sick. He was made sick yeah. by his upbringing and his surroundings and his celebrity. Yeah. So well, I hope that's where it goes. Good times. And um, I hope Very that... Very light note. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that, that, uh, that you know, at, a, at some point, will come out on the other side and and not find out that the the biggest stars in the world are also the biggest monsters so all right we're gonna take a break and when we get back we're gonna talk about some other monsters some that may look just like us and that may have podcasts that sound just like ours exactly like Mike. All right, we'll be right back. Okay, bye. <laughs> Sexy. talk about your triple feature that you did should i catch up corner dare i uh triple feature yeah i had a a couple days ago i was pretty hungover um and i did the triple feature of a lifetime really it started with max keeble's big move classic Um, yeah absolute classic it's so fun to watch i i have endless thoughts about it we're gonna do commentary episodes about it if it's the last fucking thing i do and i say episodes with an s because it would be too long to be a six-part episode. Yeah, because I'm going to have to pause to go on. Like, I'm going to be overtaken by the spirit of Max. Well, we, like, could do, we could do an intermission. Yeah, something two. like that. Anyway, that one, second movie, Agent Cody Banks. Uh, not as good. Uh, <laughs> I get what they were going for, James Bond for kids. Frankie Muniz back then was like a hot he commodity. Was, he was a hunk. Hey, Hillary Duff. Oh, oh, that's shit. right. In the, but listen, in the words of Eminem, Hillary Duff is not quite old enough, so I ain't never seen a butt like that. 
Maybe in a couple of years she'll make my PB go. Uh, doing, doing, doing. Is she? Is she back? Is there going to be a Hillary Duffessance? Oh, Lizzie McGuire too. I mean, she's awful. <laughs> she like in terms of like the like Disney starlets, like she's the least talented out of maybe any of them. She was truly. I don't think she's good at anything. Uh, she had a pop recently because everyone found out she got like real thick. And that was the whole thing for a while. And they were like, damn, Lizzie. Just and it was, Google like, Hillary Duff thick. <laughs> Well, I will always stand by the Hillary or the Lizzie McGuire movie. Lizzie McGuire oh, movie is well, yeah. great. Yeah, um, I there's no way she's worse than Jamie Lynn Spears. Jamie Lynn Spears is well, another level of yeah. That. that was a nepotism to the max thing. She was truly bad. Uh, anyway, third movie, like Mike. Hello, the Classic. worst of the three. Well, Classic. this is what truly it ripped my heart out a little bit. I loved this movie as a kid, and I'm sorry to say, but it is by far the worst out of any of these. It was very, Whoa. very poorly directed. Any graphic was awful. Like all of the graphics were horrendous. Uh, looked bad, poorly shot, acting honestly really bad. I don't got, talk shit about little Bow. That's wow. the thing. My memory is of Bow Wow being like amazing, and he is like. He's he's bad. There's a reason why he disappeared into nothing. I guess so. Lil Bow Wow ain't little no more. Um, but he anyway, he's buying things now on Instagram. It's what? very sad. Yeah, yeah. He like he like pretended, or like he posted that he like bought a private jet, but it was like a stock photo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh he God. does that like a lot. He like pretends to like flex. Yeah, because because what's class. he doing? Um, but yeah, uh. Jesse Plemons is in Like Mike, and no one talks about That's this. That's incredible. He's like, a, I had no idea that he, this was... The yeah, thing. he plays a bully orphan who tries to foil uh, Bow Wow's plans, uh, and then eventually comes around. Uh, anyway. Is he on the poster? I don't know. I'm uh, So no, I'm working on a theory that so I'm... So you think that this was what got him his role in Breaking Bad? Well, yeah. yeah. No, no, he was on Friday Night Lights. Before Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah, but nobody watched Friday Night Listen, Lights. Everyone watched Like Mike. Yeah, Like Mike walked so Breaking Bad could soar. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm Ooh. working on a, a theorem, like a mathematical theorem of watchability. I'm going to post it on Twitter once I make my graph. But it, this all plays into my theory, which is like there is a parabola of watchability. It does not go linearly. It is not like, oh, if it's a 1 out of 10, it is 1 out of 10 watchable. No, no, no. It's a parabola. If it's a 0 out of 10, it's 10 out of 10 watchable. That's like the room. 10 out of 10. Uh, if it's a 1 out of 10, it's 9 out of 10. It goes down. Once you hit about like 6, it starts going back up. But something that is a, a two out of ten is better to watch than a six out of ten. It's true, one hundred percent. Like whenever I think about, I would rather watch a really bad movie than I don't like. I'm never going to rewatch Justice League again. That movie is like a straight up just down the middle five out of ten, and I have no desire. Exactly, to ever but you'd that rather movie. watch Batman vs Superman because it's a little bit more towards the no, because that's like a four, so it's still like not. It's mm. still not bad enough to be rewatchable. It's yeah, it's. If anything from a five to an eight, I'm not interested in. From five to like a seven point nine, I don't give a shit. Eight and above, the best stuff to watch. But zero to three, almost as good. Like it's it's so fun to watch that yeah. shit if you're not paying for you're, it. You're gonna have to publish like a scientific paper. Yeah, on I mean, this. I'm, I told you, I have a graph write in your, my head. Write your thesis. It on is this. a parabola. There yes. is a way to put this on a graphing calculator. And. Uh, I guess we'll have to see where us fits into that parabola. Will it be a zero? Is Will it, it be a 10? Is it? Yeah. Is it a like Mike or a Max Keeble's big move is the question. 
Um, okay, so let's. It's an aging Cody Banks. <laughs> Damn, hot take. Flaming. So let's let's get into this. This is Jordan Peele's follow up to Get Out, which won him an Academy Award for Best I Original. Just Screenplay. rewatched Get Out like the day that I saw Us. Before or after you saw the, uh, before? Okay. Like right, I nice. finished watching Get Out and then went and saw Us. Uh, like I a really, couple hours later. I really wanted to do that. That movie is it's it's damn near perfect. Yeah. That really is the best movie of that year. Like that's going to be one of the best movies of the decade. It's going to be on a lot of lists. And watching it, like, I've now watched that movie probably six or seven times. Oh, wow. Um, I've seen that movie so much. Damn. I really love it. And I, like, always find something new, which is something we're going to get into with us, that he makes deeply rewatchable movies that you immediately, you finish it and you immediately want to go back and revisit to find other little things. One thing in this watch through, the girlfriend character, she only lies about one thing the entire movie, about never having a black boyfriend before. Everything else, she is completely honest. She, not completely honest, but she never actually says like, oh, explicitly, I, my dad is not a bad person. She, she just acts like perplexed by it all. Like, wait, what? Why did he even say that kind of stuff? That's so crazy. And so it like, it really adds to her character that you're kind of on her side for a vast majority of that movie. Spoilers for Get Out, I guess. Go watch Get Out. It's a fucking master. I'm assuming if you're listening to a podcast about us, then you've seen Get Out before. Yeah, so that that being said, this Us is a movie that demands discussion and analysis, and he made something here that is so kind of like metaphorical that we're just going to have to really dig into it. So I don't want to spend too much time in non-spoilers, uh, okay, I want to get into. I, I want to yeah. get into spoilers like super, super quick. So let's just go one by one. I want to hear what you guys thought as soon as you left the theater. Yeah, because, Ray, Ray, you should start. Well, yeah, because now at this point, I think we've all kind of either read articles or watched videos or listened to interviews that inform our interpretation and our views of what the movie means. But try to put yourself in the position of what you were feeling as soon as the movie ended before you actually got a chance to read or analyze or or consume anyone else's analysis. So, Ray, you start. Okay, so I like the as I'm walking out of the theater, like the closer I get to my car, like it's just like more like I'm actually like absorbing it because it was just like I didn't like what I'd just seen at the very end. Mm. But like no, I said, the no spoilers yet. Car. No, no, no spoilers yeah. Yet. Like I'm just saying, like I just the movie got so good to me, and it felt like I just seen like The Shining or something. It mm. was like it went from being like a bad taste in my mouth to all of a sudden like, oh, this is actually very, very good. Were you confused at all? Did you feel lost in any way? Um, no, not really. Like I was, like I said, I was a little mad because I didn't like what I like. I loved all the movie, and then like. I didn't understand why. Like I said, not to spoil anything, but I just <laughs> didn't understand why. And then just literally just like could not stop thinking about it. And then and just like once it clicked, I was like, oh, I do love this. Like this is actually great. Like this is okay. – I just couldn't stop. Like all when people ask me about it, they're like – I'm like, oh, it's super, super good. I just couldn't say like – I couldn't actually like elaborate why because it's so hard to like. Yeah, yeah it's a very plot. Not spoil it. Very plot. We'll heavy. get into it, but yeah, what are your quick thoughts, Ernie? Um, <clears throat> okay, so I'm gonna try to be as spoiler free as possible. So what I'll say is that 
God, where do I even start? The first half of this movie is a very sort of straightforward horror movie. Uh, very, you know, it's high on the the scares and the thrills and the suspense. And I thought it, it's a near perfect first half. And then around the halfway point, it changes and it becomes something a little bit more oblique and, like I said, metaphorical. And I think that it, uh, I've seen this movie twice because I watched it again last night. And I could see that audience like oh, really turning on the movie as it was nearing its third act really? and the end. And I think mass audiences are going to not really vibe with this movie as they vibed with Get Out. Get Out is much more uh, straightforward. This, you have to do a lot of thinking. Yeah, and totally agree. When I walked out of the theater, I was so confused. I was very confused and... At a, at a surface level, I was satisfied because there's good kills. There's, like, really thrilling, action-driven uh, suspense action, you know, moments, horror moments. And all of that works really well. But I think this movie, it kind of suffers from some issues of framing its story a little bit too wide. I think it starts to get a little bit too grand. Ugh. Yeah, I think it starts to get a little bit away from Peel. But that being said, I'm so glad that this movie exists because it's not a sequel. It's not a remake. It's not a comic book adaptation. It's not a book adaptation. It's fully, wholly original, and it's grappling with some really complex themes. I think that the complexity of some of those themes and the way he – manage the way he chooses to like present them and get you to understand what all of the allegory and metaphor is in the film it's a little bit clunky and confusing but nobody else is really doing what he's doing at this level exactly i mean the closest thing is jason blum but then even blumhouse is kind of blumhouse who helped make the first get helped make Peel's first movie, Get Out, um, is kind of the closest thing to trying to do that. But even still, Blumhouse still just put out some schlocky horror movies, and they're all very low budget. Oh, yeah. that's the whole Blumhouse model: is that you'll you'll make a five million dollar movie and get a hundred million dollar return yeah. on it. Um, this is a little bit. Reward. This is a little bit of a higher budget. I don't think we have a, a budget confirmed yet. Uh, Twenty million is so mid budget. Yeah, yeah, it's what Box Office Mojo says. So he gets to play with a little bit more here. Uh, you know, Get Out is very contained. This just really opens up to much more to play with for Peel. And even though it's not as good as Get Out, in my opinion, it's very different. And it just shows you that he's not a one-trick pony. Mm. If anything, this makes me so excited for Twilight Zone. And I'm, like, ready to sign up for CBS All Access to see what he does with that. Oh, because, yeah. This yeah. is, like, this was essentially just a it was a It was a Twilight, Twilight Zone episode. Zone. Yeah. Because yeah. he is a fucking genius. Like, there's so much in this movie that's so detail-oriented, and you can just tell that he thinks about the most minute, the, the, the minutia of, like, everything in the frame. Like, the shot composition is beautiful. The music is excellent. The acting, I mean, we'll get into the acting, but it's oh. it's on another level. I just think that some of the storytelling, it, it's... Personally, I would have liked a movie that left things a little bit more ambiguous than how this movie leaves them. 
but then it would have become like an art house movie. Right. Like Enemy yeah. or something like that, um, where you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah. So, um, luckily, uh, I saw this movie with the two of you guys, and uh, Drew and I were riding together home. And so, like, I walked out having a general grasp over the movie and everything else, but I'm so glad that we could like talk out our feelings together yeah. <laughs> on certain symbolism and certain themes like immediately afterwards before even like reading other people's theories and stuff like that. Cause I feel like right off the bat, like we got a pretty good grasp on it. I want to say to your point about the audience turning on, it has a B cinema score, which is doesn't sound bad, but that's not really great. That's the same score as like uh glass it, like Alita Battle Angel had an A minus, so it's like Lol. lower score than that because people are walking out, and the first thing they are is just confused. And a lot of people are going to walk out from this and just be like, "Well, I have to think about this movie, so fuck this movie." And they're comparing it to Get Out, which yeah, which Get Out they're is very different. Get Out, I mean, Get Out is much more clear cut. This movie, what's amazing about it to me is, well, I could have used a little bit more ambiguity. They turn. Without getting to and into spoilers or anything, they flip the script on like what a exposition scene is, and then totally makes you question everything that you saw during that exposition dump. And you're just like, "Well, this was an exposition dump, yes, but it all takes on an entirely different meaning after seeing the rest of the film." Um, I I love this movie. Um, I don't think it's as good as Get Out because Get Out is a little bit tighter with its script. But I just appreciate how ambitious this movie is. And part of me thinks that this movie might have a better I don't know I don't know if I want to say it's more rewatchable than Get Out, but it might have with how dense it is with all of these all these uses of symbolism in here, I think that there's gonna be a lot more think pieces about this movie and it might have a little bit longer of a shelf life than even something like Get Out did. Alright. Yeah, that's fair. I, I also think that this is a, a brilliant uh, film. I'm gonna call it a film. A film. Yeah, film. Um, Ooh, we're talking. <laughs> um, this movie is the the best part about Jordan Peele is his do his duplicity. He's dynamic as a filmmaker, as if he's been doing it his whole life. Um, it this movie is gorgeous. It's brilliant looking. It's the way it is shot is astoundingly good. Uh, which is something we unfortunately don't get a ton of in horror. Uh, it has the entertainment factor that'll keep an audience on board for the majority of it uh, until things get more confusing. But it has plenty of classic horror stuff going on. It has plenty of laughs. Um, this is a funnier movie than Get Out. I think, <laughs> I think like, so too. It has and better it, comedy. It has amazing performances, like terrific acting, uh, and a lot of really truly you know visionary script moments and ideas floating around. I do agree that it does. Uh, my problem is not with the ambiguity of it um, because there are plenty of like incredible movies that are intentionally confusing. The, my problem was more that it seemed to me like he didn't want it to be as confusing as it was. Uh, well, yeah, he wants to make big movies for big audiences. It, just, it, it seemed to me like he wanted to he wanted things to be a little more clear by the end than they ended up actually being for us. However, like I said, we're dealing with entertainment factor, uh, cinematography factor, uh, humor factor, horror factor and metaphor on top of all of that which it can get a little clunky or a little bit uh too big i kind of agree with your your statement there but this movie has so much going for it uh that i feel like people are kind of taking it for granted almost because it's following get out and 
I don't see a lot of movies that are this good. Period. And well, not not just good, but willing to kind of grapple with these really complicated social themes. Uh this didn't this movie didn't have to do that. It could have easily been just a slasher movie or a home invasion movie, kind of like what it does in its first half. But everything that happens in that second half is Peel being like, yo, I'm thinking about some really intense shit in my head and I'm trying to present it in a way that mass audiences can, you know, consume and and sort of understand. I don't know if he was 100% successful in that, but the fact that they let him do it and that they they read the script, saw the final product and were happy enough to release it is a huge success well, I think for it, movies. I think that's interesting and we left the theater before the end of the credits uh, whenever you can see it. But in the credits, Jordan Peele thanks Paul Thomas Anderson and Steven Spielberg, which seem like two completely different types of filmmaking, but you can kind of see aspects of both of those directors and their styles in this movie where he's trying to make a big, big movie, but also trying to kind of make something a little bit more artsy and a little yes. bit more... Uh, kind of um, s- metaphorical in it, what it's trying to say as opposed to just being down the middle, here's the plot, go mm-hmm. home now. You have any other spoiler-free thoughts, Ray, before we get into spoilers? Um, no, no. I mean, he could have, like, the thing was, Peel could have gone way more abstract with the whole thing, and it would, I honestly would have loved it probably as much, if not mm. more. Yeah, but I agree. This, this works, like, also perfectly, in my opinion, which will get into in like a little bit yeah because at the end of the day movie making is a business and jordan peele you know he produced this too so he wants this movie he doesn't want it to be a small little indie that only a few people connect with really well. exactly he wants it to be a big cultural moment that's the part i think we're taking for granted this is an entertaining beautiful movie with depth those three things are not often portrayed all together you can have an indie with depth that's beautiful or you can have you know a well-shot big-time movie that has no ulterior meaning to it which is like every movie now yeah yeah jordan like what peel is doing is it's a lot like what stephen king did with his books is they have a lot of schlock and they also have a lot of profound stuff in them like he's he's marrying all of the worlds of movies and even if it was a little sloppy this time i really admire that and one other point that you brought up the humor I haven't quite seen anything like the way he does humor in this. Because it's not jokes. It's not jokes, and it's also not the standard horror approach to humor where the everything sort of pauses so someone can tell a joke. Right. You're still it's terrified. Like a stupid thing. Exactly. And it, yeah, and it doesn't work. In this movie, you're terrified, but you're also laughing because the characters are being funny. But you're still scared. Like, yeah, there's a sequence in this movie where, like, everything sort of starts happening and and the plot really starts to to come into full force. And it's one of the best scenes in the movie because the tension and the suspense go hand in hand with the humor at the same time without flipping the the switch scene right before that. Right before oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, like... Okay, yes. I know. We're, we're on the same wavelength. Yes. And, and a lot of it is Winston Duke. Like, he, yeah. is, he does a lot of that heavy lifting with making you laugh and still 
fearing for what's happening. So I have a, I have a thought on Winston Duke, but I have to save it for spoilers. All right. Um, so so we ready to get into spoilers? Yeah, let's um, do it. Yeah, I I'm assuming we all recommend this movie. It, this movie is yes. making a shit ton of money. It's gonna open with seventy million dollars this weekend, over double what Get Out did on its open, opening weekend. Almost almost four no, it times its budget. On Thursday. Wow. Yeah, oh it's, wow! It's, so it's going to come near a hundred million, depending on how well it does today. Yeah, yeah I, it's probably going to be Venom two and like or Venom and all that. Apparently, <laughs> Venom two. Yeah, to be earliest. <laughs> Venom two is already the biggest movie of the year. Um, ratings? Would you guys rate this? I don't know if I want to rate it just yet because you want to wait till post discussion. I I kind of want to wait until we get in the weeds of all the what it all means because to me, like this movie. You don't have to like it, but you have to at least appreciate the fact that it's thing that they let this movie be released on a big scale. That it's an original movie by a genius filmmaker. So, um, this isn't this is gonna sound like a huge insult, but one thing that I do think that this movie has going for it is it has kind of the mother aspect to it, where it's it's more fun to think about and to talk about than it is to actually watch the movie. And I still loved watching the movie itself, but then whenever you actually think about it, like we're about to get into, it just it takes on a life of its own. Exactly. So let's let's get into spoilers now. All right, so spoilers for us. Go see it. It's a it's a great movie. Big Turn hit. this off if you if you have not seen this movie because it's it it takes some turns. This yeah. is not just a down the middle horror. If you're movie. not if you're not into horror movies, it's not that like upsetting. There aren't really like super. Were you guys scared by shit. it? Yes. Okay. Yes. It is. Yeah, it is well, effective. Yeah. I'm. I'm just. I'm fried by horror movies. So <laughs> I just a there's crazy, a couple so. spooky scenes, but other than that, uh, it wasn't as traumatic for All me. All right. At least. So spoilers. Turn it off if you want it. Come back. Come back, and let's get into spoilers for us right now. So, Ray, let's start with you. What do you... I can't believe it was all a dream. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What so do you gather from kind of ev- all of these reveals? Like, we have two big reveals in this movie, one after the other. Uh, maybe, like, give me a little bit of, of your own interpretation just that on your own and then maybe and then fill it in with some of the other things that you've kind of read up on or watch videos on that inform that so so far i've only really read like two articles because i didn't really want like anything else to like influence me too too much but i just wanted like little explanations on things but so the for me the whole twist at the end for with adelaide being red or whatever you want to call them to those two characters at first, I didn't like it at all because it I felt like it just ruined like the whole setup, like ruined her as a character. You know, like it didn't really make any sense. Did you but, see like, it I coming? A, uh, yeah, I saw it come, which is also why I didn't like it because I was like, oh no, is this actually going to happen? Or like, are they actually going to tell us, tell us? Because it, it was heavily implied, like the closer it gets to the end. Yes. First, because like how she's like, making more guttural noises she's making like with every kill like she's more sympathetic to all these people like you it's not like that well hidden honestly and but the more i thought about it the better it works though because it shows that like all the underground people are like human essentially they're not like supernatural creatures they're just actual people which is so crazy the more i thought about it because it's like 
it does work for her character because yeah she was underground but then she came up lived in like a you know kind of normal family i guess slowly learned to talk and became just like a good person in society yeah, and yeah, that's where a lot of the the themes really lie. Yeah, I mean, they're rooted in it, that. I just I keep coming back to, and even while the movie was happening, before we get to these big twists that are happening, when they ask "What are you?" and they respond, "We are Americans," and I just like yes, keep like exactly. running that through my head while watching it and in the aftermath of actually seeing it, and I really think that, I mean, shout out to Lupita Nyong'o, like she, oh, her so performance. Good is unbelievable it takes on a new level of intensity when you realize this because she kind of does have a little bit of a graveness to her throughout the movie and i don't know if you guys have really thought about this but the children are basically like half underground people because they were born like yeah, of hybrids. one person <laughs> yeah they're like hybrids and really winston oh. duke is the only genuine like true human that we see in the movie which is kind of why it makes more sense that he is kind of carrying the load of the comedic weight and everything else even with the kids they kind of have a little bit of a darkness to them it's not nearly as um on the surface as with uh, adelaide's character but i just think that all of that works in such an oh, amazing yeah. way like that it it it's works on this kind of it's one of those things where you don't realize it while watching the movie but immediately after seeing it and thinking about it i wanted to go buy a ticket to go see like yeah. the very next showing of it uh, um yeah i agree with that um and speaking to entertainment factor winston duke is extremely funny we all agreed right after the movie that he's essentially a surrogate for jordan peele yeah, he's 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 playing George. He has Peele. the same exact same voice. He has a very similar look about him, uh, but he's also like bigger and hungrier. Beefier. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, he I mean he does a really, really great job. And then speaking to everything sort of tying back, like this is a very meticulous filmmaker we're dealing with. We have the bit of it's essentially like National Lampoon's vacation for our first act. It's just him being a goof, but then there's all these dark undertones. Uh, and then like what, you know, what he learns with the boat engine, it's just a neat little script knot. He uses that to kill his doppelganger. Um, it's just little things like that, that elevate the movie beyond a simple movie. He, he thinks about everything. Yeah. And then we got it. I mean, we also have to shout out, uh, Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker, which by the way, I did not know they were in this movie. Oh, I, I, I didn't know. I it. knew Elizabeth Moss was. I didn't know Tim Heidecker was. Yeah. I must have missed him in all the previews and stuff. I knew Tim was in it. I didn't know she oh, was yeah. in it. Oh, yeah. Because I, I was... didn't watch any of the trailers. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did How didn't. did you not is my question. Because they were everywhere. I this movie has been eyes. advertised everywhere. Yeah. But I, um, I avoided them like crazy. But, I mean, shout out Jordan Peele with Get Out with the trailers for that and with this. He is all about misleading you with trailers. He makes this look just like a home invasion slasher movie. So, which is essentially just the first half of the yeah. movie. Um, yeah, which is so good. It was so smart. So before the two big end reveals, there's actually another reveal that that struck me, uh, which is we because from the trailer and the promotional stuff, we knew that there were doppelgangers for this family. Uh, the big reveal for me was when Tim Heidecker's family also had doppelgangers. Yeah, that's. That because up to then I was dead sure we were dealing with a racial metaphor here. I was dead sure it was a this movie was strictly about uh like our past with slavery, uh and that oh, I see, yeah. yeah I I thought it was just about how like we cannot outrun that past. It turns out it's a lot broader than that. It probably includes that within what it's about, oh. um because it's just generally I think about American darkness. But then past that we learned 
everyone in all of America has a doppelganger. That is that was a wild turn for me. I like you said, I thought we were dealing with something a lot smaller than that. Um, and it's insanely ambitious to broaden the scope of it that wide. Yeah, and I, I will say that the fact that we get that in this movie, you have to do a lot of suspension of disbelief. And that's when I think that the second half of this movie almost teeters on going full allegory and full metaphorical. Because... If you really start to pick apart the details of everything you see here about like the logistics of who controls who and how they what were... happens when somebody moves across the country or moves out of the states yeah. or anything like that, how uh, even the kids look the same even though they were birthed and not cloned, uh, why all the jumpsuits look the same, where they got the scissors, uh, how they eat, how they live, like. Uh, all of that completely falls apart if you think too much into it. And I think Peel wanted to make something that doesn't rely on the logistics and instead you look at it as fully allegorical. Yeah, because sometimes yeah, I, explaining too much does not work. It only is a detriment to your story. But like you just create loopholes. But this movie does explain a lot, which is why I'm conflicted on it. That well, yeah, that's the issue I'm dealing with here as well. Because we have this, you know, a lot of it is just running away, but we know there's something else going on with Lupita's character. Uh, when the the exposition dump happens, like the dump of the you know the doppelganger in front of the chalkboard. Yeah, the, most yeah. beautiful looking exposition yeah, split, dump I've ever split seen. Split diopter life. shot. Oh, yeah, so good. So. The the one of the big purposes of that dump is to trick us into thinking that she is the you know the, which character is which. It's to be like, well, there's no way that this has a total double meaning to it, uh, which it does. So part of the meaning of that dump is to be like uh, Kaiser Soze's moment in The Usual Suspects, where you find out that he was just reading shit off the back wall the whole time, and everything he said had a double meaning to it. Um, so that is that is brilliant. That is ingenious uh, screenwriting. However, it's also a lot of real exposition being dumped, uh, which would lead you to believe that he does want you to understand what's going on pretty clearly, right? Like, yes. And yeah. that's, that is my issue with it, is that if I was just totally confused, I would honestly be happier. It, like, if I was like, if I had to figure everything out on my own, and, but it was possible to right. do so... I would like that more than when he answers half of the questions. Exactly. Well, he didn't. He didn't want to go full Lynch because Lynch movies don't make money. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's why he it had just, to do that. I feel yeah, like exactly. It just struck me as a compromise, basically. But I mean, I would take that. This is also like I kind of. And my thoughts about this are a little bit similar to my thoughts about Annihilation, where Annihilation had this, like, it almost had this safety net of it was all being told through, like, interview after the fact and everything else, which took away a lot of the gravity of the situation. But I think that this movie actually does it better because there is a double meaning. You don't have a pure safety net. You're still just kind of being thrown in, and you're trying to figure things out. And even in these scenes where stuff is explaining, I'm like, listening to the stuff that I'm hearing, I'm still trying to move the puzzle pieces around in my head but, while I'm watching it. But to your point about Annihilation, I, I feel the opposite. I feel Annihilation did it better because it goes full art house in its third act. And imagine if in Annihilation... The I guess spoilers for Annihilation. Sorry if you haven't seen it. Uh, Minor spoilers. It's but not it, the 
whole point of the movie. Imagine if in Annihilation, the alien, while she was dancing with Natalie Portman, was also explaining <laughs> everything that was happening in the Shimmer and the whole reason as to why they were there and what the plan was no, for we, being there. We get kind of exposition, though, in the beginning of that movie, as opposed to in the end of like, oh, yeah, what's this whole thing? Well, we got to go yeah, in there and that's find why it the, out. That's and, why the beginning is way worse than the end. Yeah, and uh, I, I, but I don't think that this, I don't think that it does take a dip in the third act. I actually think that this movie gets better as it goes on. If anything, I think it might take a little bit too long to actually get into the horror aspects was one thing that yeah, kind of... it takes like at least like an hour of them just setting everything up. Yeah, it's a it, while, it, yeah. it does. It takes a bit for we for us to actually like get into the point where it's like it's nighttime and they're in the house and the family's here. I, I thought the opening was pretty it's, creepy. It's fun. The fun oh, house, no, the mirrors. Oh no, the very opening is is great, and then we cut to the title card with just the rabbits. Which, by the way, shout out to uh, us for taking the. The crown for best use oh, of yeah. rabbits in a movie away from the favorite. The favorite had it for like three months, mm. and now it's gone. Um, I also I want to shout out something that Peel does that I I wish more filmmakers would do. He replaces jump scares with what I'll call anxiety scares. Um, where with a jump scare, it's like someone's le- legit scared of something. They think it's like the big monster, and it turns out it's like their friend scaring them. That's also a release. Yeah, and that's like relieved. Yeah. Well, the thing is that is that's hack because that sucks. Like that's been done so much, and we all know it. What Jordan yeah, Peele does, one actual one. What what Peele does is instead of there being like anything scary at all the music will swell and she will be insanely scared and there will be nothing yeah and i like that a lot well i mean okay so in the very opening of the movie we have the young adelaide walking through the fun house and then she like turns around and the thing doesn't change and then it cuts in our face and it just has her scared face and then we just cut away we never actually see that face and it does that a lot where like instead of you actually seeing the monster itself you see other people reacting to the monster oh, yeah. which is so much more powerful than just like gah here it is in your mm-hmm. face yeah and just also and the owl go ahead is the one only jump scare in like the whole the real only jump scare yeah. is like the beginning where she like runs into it but in the very end when she's running through it again she, she is... smacks the shit out of it which that was is so awesome. good i love that um okay so we've talked about a little bit of the acting i think we should also mention the kids yeah uh, they're great i thought they were really really well in particular uh, the daughter was did an amazing job i think like that. i think the daughter was great as the above ground version i thought the kid was phenomenal as the below gr- Dude, as the doppelganger she, with the ter- mask on she was horrified oh the the son you mean the, the yeah the on? boy yeah, yeah the, both the, of them were very scary to me. Yeah, they were freaky. Like they, they yeah, and... shout out to Evan Alex and Shahadi Wright Joseph. Yeah, actors. that was that was all very well done. Uh and it was it was very, very like pure entertainment watching them try to outrun and kill all these doppelgangers. Like that was just fun movie watching. Yeah. And there, there's that humorous moment where they're like the kill count. Like I have the highest kill count. Oh yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> I am um, that was so funny. Well I mean that's why I really like it came at a time when the uh um Tim Heidecker, Elizabeth Moss, when their doppelgangers come in, it almost is like played like a comedy moment. Cause we spend like 20 minutes straight of just with this family and they're just like oh shit like kind of on the edge of my seat and then like you start to feel like you're gonna get a little bit of release you're going over this other house you don't get that classic release but instead it's almost played 
with humor with the uh, Alexa <laughs> doppelganger. Ophelia. Ophelia. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> there, yeah, this call the police. Play fuck the police. A, a lot of horror movies really fumble the ball when it comes to like putting laughs in without ruining things. And for you know, he just he made it work in this movie. There were only a couple moments where I thought it was really interrupting things. Uh, it was a couple Winston Duke moments because he is. He stays joking. Yeah. <laughs> he just never not like fucking around. And he nails. I feel like that's so real though. Like, yeah. If I was like, if you like knew a dad, like if a dad was like actually reacting to this shit, he would be like trying to like yeah. calm down. The yeah. He's the, perf- he the perfect dad. I still, my favorite moment of him in the entire movie is whenever like the kids are going to bed and he's like trying to put the moves on. And so he just like lays in bed and like spreads his leg out and like tries to get all like propped up for sexy time. And Lupita's just like having like this anxiety mental breakdown happening next to him. <laughs> it really, oh, yeah, it's yeah. very mean. It was all, it was very well executed uh, comedy, I thought, it, which is. I think I agree that I think it was funnier than Get Out even just in terms yeah. of there were there were a lot of laughs in here um, and they were woven in and it mostly didn't bother me. Usually I get really bothered by laughs in a horror movie because they throw them in at the worst moments. Yes. Yeah, so um, another thing about I uh, one thing working against this from an audience perspective, which I thought was so interesting whenever we saw this together, we have a uh, Lupita's moment where uh, she like kills somebody for the first time. And she just starts hacking into him just beating the shit out of him and people in our audience clapped they like applauded it they're like woo yeah yeah yeah, you killed him you killed him and then it's like it almost just turns that on its head like at the very end when you're like oh shit she just killed just like a regular above ground human yeah (laughs) like oh oh, well that's the thing also like it shows like she actually was a good person so it's like these people down who were like living down below us if they had the same like chances as us weren't eating raw rabbit yeah they you know, are like, yeah, socialized well, normally they would be normal people. they went yeah they went insane and they obviously became very angry when they realized what the above ground people and had. i think that it's like it kind of i mean there's so many different social statements that's making but i think that one question that i've still been like kind of grappling with after seeing this movie is who are the real bad guys of this movie well, that is it, th- is it us. That's the point. I think is that's it like I think that's the point. That's why, because Ray, you mentioned earlier that your gut feeling upon leaving the theater was that you were upset that we were rooting that our hero that we were rooting for was actually the quote unquote evil clone. And I, yeah, fe- exactly. I felt the same way. Like that's so upsetting to have that switch happen. But it, it, yeah, like you said, once you sit on it, it actually makes the movie better because then it informs the theme of nobody really is the bad guy because neither of them are good and also neither of them are evil they're just like all of us just the like everyone just changed that's like that's it yeah and i think i think what you just mentioned i think is probably one of the most resonant themes in the film that the the tethered as they're called they represent kind of the lower class of America, the the people that that we want to forget about, the mm. the people that the homeless, the low income, exactly the people that don't have anything. Because once you have some, once you're able to live and eat and go on a vacation to Santa Cruz, that's life. You you don't have to be the Tim Heideckers and the Elizabeth Moss. You don't have to have the fancy car and the fancy boat. If you have something you can live and be happy and and be be well off but if you don't have 
anything, that makes all the difference. And that yeah, that's how they like pop. That's why they like literally came up to fight us, like because they have nothing else. Exactly, exactly. So I think that what Peel is trying to say, uh, I think he's trying to say a lot, maybe a little bit too much. But one of the main <laughs> things he's trying to say is that it, and I keep coming back to this quote from remember uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. You know how that album ends with Tupac talking yeah. to Kendrick. The first thing you hear out of Tupac's mouth is the ground's going to open up and swallow the evil. <laughs> and I keep thinking about that Tupac quote because that's what happens in this movie, that it's the it's the people that have been uh, shunned and ostracized by society, the forgotten people, the tethered. Mm. They're still human. They're still people. And if they were given the same opportunity as everyone else, like you just said, Ray, they would thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they'd be functioning members of society. Yeah, I, I, I think that's totally grunting weirdos. Like that all that all totally carries. And then again, because we're talking about how this is such a big metaphor, I also think there is the historical component to it of burying our past as a country, burying yeah. all of the people that had to die or just live shit lives for our you know system to work. Yeah, for people, the other people. who literally or figuratively gave their lives or their bodies to this country for it to be what it is and then just kind of building up from there and that we Um, all as americans carry that so there's a a couple a couple other like uh symbolic moments there in this movie that i thought were just beautiful um first of all like hands across america are you guys like familiar with what exactly that is yeah yeah yeah. movement in the 80s to like help raise awareness of homelessness um but in fear it was like nice in essence like oh we're gonna like raise awareness to their homeless people but in all honesty it was like the ultimate american move it was like hey man keep in mind there are homeless people and it didn't really do anything these well, pe- people who were homeless were still yeah, homeless it just after made that people happened. feel good it made people feel good that they held hands yeah. and there was a homeless person like 30 feet away well from really them. that's they're like that's look at us we're not going to give you money but look <laughs> at us we're holding hands for you it's such an american gesture and it's really that's the lasting impact of the reagan presidency as a whole because that happened when reagan yeah. was, that was his whole thing was like acting like everything was okay yeah being an actor literally anyway fuck reagan (laughs) um but yeah that's there's all this at play within this one metaphor and that's why as you said i didn't think the audience like pulled back and stopped enjoying it but i do think that they it kind of like short-circuited a few people like definitely i think that it took away from the enjoyment immediate enjoyment of the movie in order to make a point that was too heady for a lot of people um, if that yeah. makes any sense, uh, a little, little film one Uh, I'm in a, I'm in a film class right now. This is really not anything impressive, but, uh, in the thirties, a lot of Jewish filmmakers had to flee Germany, uh, and they came to America. And when they came, they brought the teachings of Freud over with them. Um, and that's when we started getting doppelganger movies because his whole deal was everyone contains multiple facets. Uh, everyone has sides to them it, it because before that it was literally like if if someone was a villain they were like ugly yeah. like it was like surface level like the attractive person is who we like yeah. and the disfigured ugly guy is who is bad uh so it brought in this wrinkle of like no one is who they seem they are like there is a dark underbelly to every person there's the conscious and the subconscious mind uh and this is like taking that idea and just like 
A-bombing it, like exploding the idea of the doppelganger to say that our country has a seedy underside doppelganger to it. Uh, and I think that's pretty cool. And, yeah. uh, and leading right into that point was kind of the Jeremiah eleven eleven, which keeps popping up throughout this oh, movie yeah. and everything else. Which I immediately after the movie like pulled up what exactly it is. Uh, basically, yeah, it, it says, the "Therefore, thus saith the Lord: Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them." Basically, so background for what this actually means, because. I'm not a big Bible head. Um, You're not a resident Bible. I boy? haven't. I'm, I'm like about like halfway through. But <laughs> I haven't. I haven't actually finished. I'm, it yet. I'm on season three. Um, <laughs> season three of the Bible on HBO. I'm on, the Bible. I'm on Genesis. Um, How far I'm is a podcast that catches me up on it? <laughs> yeah. um, but basically, Jeremiah was a prophet, was, not just a bullfrog. Yeah, was a good um, friend of mine. <laughs> oh. So. Uh, this is kind of in this part of the Bible. It's kind of talking about uh, like warning the Jews um, that were like kind of living in this wealth and extravagance that Jerusalem was going to fall apart due to their like use of like sin and kind of not like losing their way. And that's kind of meant to be the use of Jerusalem and is kind of being reflected onto America as a whole, that America is going to fall apart due to our greed and all these vices that we've built up thanks to like our just our our wealth and kind of our lack of caring about lack of empathy for those that are below us that are less fortunate. I think that ties to the Tupac quote too. Right. That it, there's an inev- inev- inevitability in that. That if we keep pretending like there's no, not a problem in this country about poverty and class divisions and that we can just hold hands and pretend like everything's okay. Shit's going to hit the fan at a certain point. Yeah. And this, this ties into like, sorry to bother you. Yeah. <laughs> a lot um, from that perspective of the metaphor. And then it also, you know, contains multitudes uh, just like this whole movie does. Like this movie is a better piece of filmmaking than sorry to bother you. Absolutely. But the metaphor of sorry to bother you is not even a metaphor. It is so obvious that like you can't walk away without understanding it. Um, but I think that Jordan Peele's thus far, his legacy is that he makes the funnest movies to see in a movie theater and also sneaks in some yeah. really heavy shit. Like, but Get Out was so much more straightforward. Like, there's no debate about yeah, what that movie's about. Like... I'm sure there are some dumb fucks out there. <laughs> yeah, they're just like... I don't. I like the part where the black man was scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Uh, so I I want to backtrack to like the actual movie. I I love talking about like the meaning behind it. But before we ba- uh, I backtrack, there was one more interpretation that I want to bring up. Now that we're kind of in the weeds of all this, and uh, this actually comes from Slash Film. Uh, these guys, Ben Pearson and Jacob Hall, wrote a big analysis that I'll link in the show notes, uh, where they kind of have this back and forth. Uh, conversation trying to uh, compare their own interpretations of the film Mm. Um, really recommend you guys read through it it opened me up to a lot of things that I didn't I could have not come up on my own so it's a great article to get into and there's one interpretation that I want to bring up and uh, Ray I'm really curious to hear what you think about this so this guy I don't know if it's Ben or or Jacob he thinks Mm -hmm. that the tethered represent the modern republican party 
and that they have been shunned. They they view themselves as shunned from their own country and that they've been forgotten and that they are rising up and showing their power and their worth and they're building a wall. The final shot of this movie is a wall of red across America that means nothing and doesn't do anything and doesn't fix anything and is absolutely meaningless and inconsequential. That implies, though, that we have been, like, we've been oppressing them, you know? That, yeah, like, they're not, The Obama like, administration. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm sure it's how they see themselves. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, Somehow I don't think that's, I don't. Self-victimization type of thing, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, I don't think that Jordan Peele had the GOP on the mind whenever he wrote this well, script. But one, one of the things that that he's been talking about in interviews, because this just premiered at South by Southwest, is he's talking about people looking inward, because we're in a very divisive time in America right now, and we're so ready to point the finger at the other and frame the other as the enemy. But nobody is willing to look within themselves and see the evil in ourselves. That's what he keeps talking about. That that's the thing that he keeps coming back to in, in interviews. Okay, that theme I can kind of see. Well, yeah, a bit because more. Well, okay. Sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay, well I can now that I think about it, it would seem like it's a like a Republican thing to like rise out of the ground, kill everyone, and do a giant pointless gesture, and then like <laughs> that's it. There's like no plan, like that's as far as they plan. So like because even like Red says it's like yeah we're just gonna do this and it's gonna like fuck everyone up and show us that we like show that we're here and like that's it and then what it's not like a smart plan yeah, exactly it's not like a smart plan there's no like end goal they don't want like this like a not holding us for ransom they're just killing everyone yeah and I I needlessly. do I do like the interpretation even if it doesn't 100% track for me uh because uh you know obviously we we bought a Microsoft totally apolitical <laughs> but the Mega. welcome new fans to well the show. Uh, this the story does the modern relevance angle of the story is that the president we have now is taking the doppelganger side of that party and bringing it to the forefront the implicit underside that no one talked about until now but ev- you know they felt uh, is now is we all know, and it, that's also a part of the digital age. There's a neo-Nazi newspaper you can find online right now called Daily Stormer. Guess who they love? Trump. Yeah. Guess <laughs> guess what party they're all in. And that's not to say that everyone in the party is like a fucking Nazi, but it, it we're in an age in which the the CD uh, implicit the things that no one could ever say are now being brought into the the spotlight, and that's what the movie is about. Yeah. This just makes me so happy that this movie exists, that we can have like a conversation about if this is just an allegory for the Republican Party or something like that, like that Jordan Peele did something like this and just making just a straight up horror movie. Well, it, like and not only that, I mean, Drew, like you mentioned uh, earlier about how thinking this was going to take a racial turn. So did I because of Get Out. But I think that that's almost a better move by Jordan Peele to make this more of a societal issue. And it kind of reflects back on us that we just go in just expecting like, well, he's the guy, he's the dude, he's going to make a statement about black culture and everything else that kind of looks back bad on us that we've just kind of learned to expect this and like give like a Spike Lee effect to him because he made one movie about a black family. And also, first of all, Get Out was made before the election, even though it came out after. 
He he wrote it and shot it before. And second of all, the movie's called Us. Mm. U.S. United States. Huh, I exactly. never thought about the, that before. The United States is the country that we live in. Yes. <laughs> he, the society that we all live in. He thinks, he thinks about everything, and there's no way that's a coincidence. No, of course not. It, like, it's definitely yeah. a part of it. Yeah. I mean, the family, like, that's the thing, because it's not, like, yeah, like, wealth disparity does break down into race issues, but the thing about this movie is, like, the whole family itself that we focus on could have been any race. Yep. At any point. Yes. And yep. then the the big like the big like cool part about it, like them actually being black, is like it could have been a white family, but he's like, no, I'm not going to do that because they're and they're a pretty well off family. But the thing that they always mention, mainly the dad, is the like, oh, the other family that we're like quote unquote friends with, even though they all kind of like can't really stand them. Yeah, they're yeah. like super rich. They're like. It's always like a keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. Because, like, Winston Duke characters are always like, oh, he's got this car. Oh, they've got that boat. Mm-hmm. Oh, they've got a backup generator. Like, it's always, like, comparing themselves to the, this family that they have, like, no need to because they're really well off. They have a vacation house. Like, they're yeah. doing pretty good. But they all, but they all hate each other. It's always this constant <laughs> state of envy, and that's kind of where we are in a society is even if you have everything in the world that should make you happy, you still want more because you look, you're always looking up at people above you and, well, they have this nice thing that I don't have, even though I have all this other nice, useless shit here next to me. We have a vacation house that we use once a year with a fucking, like, Winston Duke just bought, he a, bought boat. a boat. On a he whim, just, yeah. yeah, he just bought a boat on a whim. Do you know how many fans? Families like are going home hungry and yeah. like but it's still just kind of that we all have this in this this inherent jealousy and envy of others and that's what's amazing about this movie is that it points the finger back onto us yes but the the core of the theme here is that the divide between the people below is so much greater the divide between the the main family and the other family is not is not that big compared no. to the divide between the tethered and the people above. Well, but I mean, because when you have nothing, it means everything. Yeah, exactly, and that's what I'm saying is that like it starts out like the first act of this movie when it is just like a fun family vacation romp. It is just kind of looking at like the family themselves. They're looking at this very minute gap that they have below this other family. Yeah, so and then it just, it turns it completely on its head. It's just like, well, this means absolutely fucking jack shit. Like when you look at things in the yeah. grand scheme, well, and same thing with like people like, Every, like, wealthy family, they don't just, like, when they see other people that are well off, they're like, ugh, well, at least I'm not, like, this homeless person over here. Nobody thinks like that. They always think negatively. Nobody ever thinks positively about the situation that they're in. Yeah, um, and that is a great point, Ray, that this is a, it's a post-racial movie, but issues of class and race are inextricably linked. You cannot talk about one without talking about the other, obviously. But also, this managed to be, like, a representation movie of like kind of like the Cosby show was back in the day of just it's it's hardly addressed what they're that's the There's biggest two, I think maybe like race jokes one of them being like the spare key joke which I cracked oh, up yeah. at <laughs> an extremely white thing to do <laughs> I was like yeah no I would never do that um and I, I can't remember the other one my uh, family yeah, I, I was like trying to count them too like with, along with the uh, jump scares I was trying to see like how like tropey this was gonna be because 
like it just gave me such like the shining vibes with a family going on like a vacation quote yes. unquote kind of thing and like one of but them instead being of a like the dad being like very like like it getting to him is getting to the mom mm. yeah it this like, this also gave me a lot of shining vibes especially everything that happens below ground just the look mm-hmm. of those tunnels oh and yeah the hallways. how it looks like both a prison and also like a minst- mental institution yeah um i the set design for this movie is oh, oh i was oof. i was telling hunter this it's just an interesting little thing uh the first time i thought of jordan peele as something bigger than just like a key and peel guy is an interview with key and peel together they're getting interviewed and they're talking about like their dynamic and why they work well together and like Jordan is going about, you know, he's saying like, well, you know, Key is obviously the face of the show. Like he's a great actor. His, yeah. his, his work acting is astounding. And then uh, in response, Key is like, yeah, but I don't have the Rain Man thing. Like you have the Rain Man thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what he has. Like he is capable of, he has this mental Rolodex of shot types, shot selections, how to do a scare, how to frame anything. Like the thing that shocks me the most about him is it's not just that he can write. Like he can make all aspects of a movie. He has the Rain Man thing. Um, well, yeah, that th- this reminds me of, of something big. I, I wanted to bring up that I'm glad I didn't forget is, uh, you know, I I was mentioning earlier that that there's a lot here that you have to stretch your uh, suspension of disbelief, right? That there's a lot of like logical juggling that if you really think that much into it, it kind of breaks the movie. Yeah. But I think Peel is less concerned about giving you a logical story and more about creating striking, iconic imagery. The scissors? The scissors. Genius. All of the shots of reflections and mirrors and shadows and the way he plays with lighting black faces and making these black faces look so dark and demonic when when they express this... Uh, and the, evil wi- the wide white eyes and everything with just a very dark face yes. stuff like that like genius and and all of the duality in in the imagery the the symmetry throughout it's all just perfect so i wanted to speaking of duality and also the scissors because that's going to be the iconic thing of this because i was kind of thinking to myself like why don't they just use like a kitchen knife or some other kind of like classic horror movie weapon. But one, it's iconic. Nobody's done just scissor, just like cutting shears. And also it works because when something's tethered, that means that you have to cut it. And everybody, you're just going to oh, use scissors to cut something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like sitting there oh, thinking through it. like why why the use of scissors. But it just, it makes so much also, sense. It works the, on this double meaning. Just the word tethered. Yeah. Just picking that word. Oh. Not just connected. Also, also scissors are too things that are like opposite two things that are linked the the, the same i mean the same thing also like yes i didn't think about that (laughs) two separate holes two separate things that make yeah we're we're getting into like we're getting into kubrickian territory in terms of every little thing being thought of but that's why that's why this movie i think is it's gonna stay in the like in the aura of like films of this year just because like it's a movie that you can tell Peel puts so much thought behind every shot and every placement of something. I mean, even in the opening scene that we have with a young Adelaide sitting in front of the TV, there's like three or four VHSs that are just sitting there, and they each have like a different meaning. We have um, the right stuff, 
big year for the right stuff. Yeah. Showed up in Captain Marvel, <laughs> showing up again here. Um, Chud, which is a movie about... I've never seen Chud, but from what I know about it, it's about... A police officer, there's like these monsters that are coming out of the sewers, and it's a police officer who has to team up with the uh, leader of this homeless shelter. Um, then there's a, I think it's a Will Ferrell comedy, or it's it's a comedy called The Man with Two Brains. Like, there's that's so many Steve things. Steve Martin. Or Steve Martin, that's what it is, not Will Ferrell, pre Will Ferrell. <laughs> um, but it's like kind of all these, it's, there's another one too, but they all kind of like, if you pick them up, then it sets up the entire movie, like these little Easter eggs, but they're almost more than Easter eggs because they provide more meaning for the movie whenever you see something like that. It's not just something that's just thrown in there for just like, oh, here's just something fun for you yeah, to think like about. The, yeah, like the pre-production of this movie must have been insane. Yeah. <laughs> With all of these, uh, The Goonies was another one of the videos yeah, the because Goonies. it heavily yep. features going underground. Yep. Um, that whole... Good. No. Oh, that whole like beginning part where it's just like young Adelaide was giving me like serious like flashbacks to being a kid. Because if you notice, the whole thing is literally from her like she's like showing up. The sounds are extremely loud. Like it just mm-hmm. reminded me of being a kid at the fair, like a hundred percent. Also, it, it kind of makes the fair really just creepy, scary. Yeah, <laughs> and it makes the it ocean so scary because like. Yeah, the sound of the waves. What I said was, this is the worst visit California ad of all time. I just, I'm never going to Santa Cruz now. Sorry, Santa Cruz. <laughs> you just, but I mean, to your point about if you think too much about it, it kind of falls apart. Like, are there just, are these doorways, are they only in like certain spots? Like, how, why? Also, you would think Adelaide, like, you would think that she would have said something before now, like, hey, we're going to Santa Cruz. I don't want to go to that beach. Because the real me <laughs> might come out and attack me. Like, you would think that there's, like, so much more. Well, no, she made real... herself forget that so she could, like, be normal, I think. Yeah, that's something that's not... But then that's it all started not... coming back. That's something that's not clear. I do think that it's genius the way that, the... especially they do the whole voice thing. How after this whole trip, she didn't speak for, like, a month. Because it was actually Evil Adelaide and she was learning like how humans behave and like trying to learn to mimic emotions, like a mimic what it means to have a soul. I thought that was really, really well thought of. And it all plays off the whole thing with her voice being messed up. Like the, who we think out. is red is because yeah. last time that we the, see the real Adelaide, she gets choked out by damn, red. I didn't even think of down. that. She God gets dragged damn. down to the sewers and that's why she well, speaks that certain way. I think like it, she like, because the two times it does like the flashback to her being in like the therapist's office, it always like she shows her focusing on the mom, and that's the thing. Like I think that's what like gets to her because it's still her mom. Like she thinks it's her mom. Yeah, when she says, like, "I want my little girl back." Yeah, so she's like, "Oh, I'm gonna just literally like just like change my brain." Yeah, which and- at a young age, you know, who knows what kind of like fucked up things. But can happen to it. you just mentioned something a little earlier about how it's not clear if Adeline knows that she came from this cloning program, if she has blocked it out and, and made herself forget. Because there's a scene, the scene where she tells Winston Duke to Gabe about it. She says, my family went on a trip to the beach and I saw a girl that looked just like me in this fun house. So she, I don't think that's bad writing because I don't think Jordan Peele is a bad mm-hmm. writer, but it is a little unclear what's happening in that scene. Is is she trying to lie and keep up the facade that she's kept up her whole life? 
or does she genuinely not remember her nature in that moment? She's trying to, I feel like, protect herself. Like, now, like, looking back on it, she's, like, trying to protect herself, keep this lie going for herself, because, like, she she wants to be normal. Right. You know? She's been trying to be normal her whole life, and yeah. now it's almost like she's gotten away well, with she it. She is. has a, she she has has a family and kids. Yeah. And she's, like, been able to hide who this is. I was actually, I think, I'm more and more that I think about it, I love the ending because it makes it makes so much more sense for that not to be the real Adelaide that we follow this whole time. Mostly because if this was just, like, like why, why did a revolt happen on this day? Why did this person, Red, lead this whole thing? Because she was actually from the surface. She was from the whole surface that time. She had to be like the savior of these people because she was the only person who was from the underground who had actually made it up. They wouldn't have they wouldn't have ever known anything yeah. about the other world if it wasn't for her. If it wasn't for her. Which brings me to one final thing that I want to talk about before we wrap up, the dance. Let's talk about the dance. Oh my god, such a beautiful scene. Cuz it's an amazing scene, masterful editing, choreography, shot composition, music, everything. But it's very obtuse and um, uh, what was one word that you used, Ray? You said abstract. It's very abstract yeah. because one thing that I keep coming back to is the movie doesn't explain the the control aspect, how like the people above ground control the movements of the people below ground. Like they have to mirror their movements. That part is still very unclear to me, even after seeing it a second time. The logistics of that don't really work, and it comes into play in that dance uh, fight. It's a dance fight intercut with the flashbacks of the actual dance, uh, where there there's no clarity for me who's controlling who, because we can see the... F- we know that the clone girl was above ground dancing, controlling the original girl below ground also dancing and then in present day they're fighting and the original girl is dodging the attacks of the clone because she knows her every move so there's there's some confusion there in like who's controlling who well i i almost feel like it's one of those things where like the when i i feel like it works both ways so I will call the Adelaide that we follow for most of the movie. I'm just going to re- refer to her as Adelaide and the one who the original right. is red. So it's almost like when Adelaide first came to the surface, she had to learn how to have a soul. She had to like basically develop this whole thing where it's like red down being below the surface. She was at this point below the surface for years basically forgot what it was like to have a soul because you basically they say you mimic every move but with no soul which is what makes that dance sequence so haunting is that there's just like 20 50 there's like 50 people that are just staying there watching her like with their mouths open she's just like throwing herself into walls while the real adelaide is having this dance this beautiful dance sequence. but that's not the real one that's but it's the- not the real but that's what i'm saying it's almost like it's it's kind of it's uh learning like based on your surroundings like adaptive brain kind of a thing so whoever is above ground controls whoever is yeah i mean what if think about it this way like what if when adelaide first came up to the surface she learned how to she spent that month just like sitting there observing in the underground maybe the the red 
who we who we know think is red is actually just spending a month observing them and like they both kind of learn to like it's almost like they switch brains in that moment and like both of them kind of put themselves in that setting i think that this uh, this movie only works because it was they had this switch whenever they were children mm-hmm. so they still have such an adaptive brain at that point yeah that that can kind of be explained i mean a lot of the logistics we could we could talk about all day and we wouldn't come to an answer because it is it gets a little absurd, uh, and that's mostly okay. There's Which is what it, what I said at the very beginning of the pod about how like I think this back half of the movie should be taken as metaphorically and well, exactly as well, possible. Because the entire concept of an experiment where everyone in America is cloned is not like Plausible, that's yeah. that's not close to real life. So we might as well just not even think about it. Which because... makes me kind of feel like we don't we didn't need that. We didn't need to know it was a clone a government cloning program. Yeah, that that was kind of odd. I mean, I did I. It, to that point, I did love the use of rabbits in this because, one, it works for, like, oh, it's a food supply source that we can just keep repopulating and just eat raw rabbits because it's not like you have – you don't have a soul, so you can't really, like, taste yeah. or, like, have the feeling of having, like, a oh, great yeah. meal or anything anyways. But also, it speaks on overpopulation of society and Earth. Like, that's what rabbits usually represent is just this kind of mass population, and people just keep – having babies and having babies and yeah. having babies and that just is making more clones in this underground area someone also said that the rabbits represent ideas and the spread of information with the internet <laughs> so, jesus christ there's that there's so many there's yeah. gonna be so many internet right for this what do you think about the dance and that whole sequence of intercutting between their fight and red dodging every every attack from adelaine I think it just, like, shows that they're, like, because I like how they didn't use the whole, like, them being able to control the doppelgangers too much as, like, a like a big clutch. Like, oh, we're going to kill them all that way. They only really do the one kill like that. And then when at the very end, though, where you think, like, oh, she's just going to control her. And it's just this whole flashback. Because even um, Red When you said one kill, loved, you meant the, the boy? Day. Yeah, the boy. In the fire? Yeah. Yeah. That's the only time any of them actually use that power to like stop the doppelganger. Well, there's also the there's mm-hmm. also Winston Duke's character on the boat where he slams his own head. Oh yeah, but that's more because also he knew like that's, I felt like it was more to like the boat right. itself kind of thing. He didn't like make the guy like jump into the the fan of the boat or whatever. Well, and also sorry to jump on your uh, uh-huh. thought right there, but I think that that's one of the things like. It can kind of be explained away and just that, like, despite the fact that this is this doppelganger, they don't have the same experiences as the people that are on Earth. The little boy is still just, like, a little boy, and they start in the, um, um, whenever they're in the closet together, kind of playing this game where they mimic each other, and I feel like that sets up for whenever they're going to do this, like, mimicking yeah. thing together. Oh, speaking of which, when Lupita says, go show him a trick, and you're like, well, how does she know that that's going to work? It's, you know... You remember? Yeah. She's it's, like, "Why don't you go show him your magic?" That's trick? why I think. That's why I think that it only yeah. works uh, with the like with Lupita's character because both of them have been to the surface before. These other characters, they haven't been to, like they may be doppelgangers, but they don't have the same experiences. Right? Yeah, they're both their own actual person, which is what really shows at the end. Like they they can't predict each other. They can't like, and then it's just a frustration that builds because she knows like. It's really like you can see she's realizing what's going on and like 
Definitely. I don't know. It's just did you so, think? Like, do you think raw. it was satisfying when she finally stabbed her and she couldn't see uh, that move, that attack coming? The stab, yes, but when she choked her at the very end, I was like, "Oh fuck!" That was. <laughs> did you think it was good? That was, no, that was too much. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was just like I just wasn't expecting it. Okay. It just really digs into the whole like she's going back to this primal thing. Yeah, like, definitely. Her real self, and which. Um, it just makes it more complex. And visually, I think the most important part is that all this was beautiful. It was striking. And again, logistically, I'm not, I don't want to think too much about it. What he's trying to say to me is very clear. He's trying to say that America is like a little kid who gets told to clean up their room and they just shove everything in the closet. And then when they open the closet, it all just like spills out because they didn't actually fix it 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 just looks clean that's what he's trying to say he's trying to say as a country we are not addressing our issues we're just burying them underground um yeah and that metaphor tracks so well for me that again the only thing i can say is that i wish it was less explained in the movie because then once he starts explaining it you're like no finish explaining it please i'm so mm-hmm. you know that if he just didn't even start then a less people would like it because people like answers but B, we wouldn't be in this little middle ground that we're in right, right. now. Um, so it's a trade-off. It really is. Like, you have to make compromises to make a big-ass theater movie that also has something crazy to say. Like, that's hard to pull off. So he did as good of a job as uh, as people do, I think. Is that your – are those your final thoughts? Yes. All right, Hunter, <laughs> final thoughts. Um, I have a couple big takeaways. Number one, every horror movie should have some kind of a fun mirror house. That's just that's just a new rule that I'm gonna have is that if a horror movie has a fun mirror house just like perfect, it already gets like just a golden star for me. The way that's set up in the very beginning is just so cool. She just gets freaked out, sees an exit sign, run towards it, and then just like looks around. There's just like a thousand exit signs all around here with the mirrors playing with each other. Love that. Jordan Pe- Jordan Peele is really establishing himself as one of the like premier a-list directors it's i didn't want to it's hard to put somebody on that tier when they just make one movie it's kind of like i mean as much as i loved whiplash whenever it came out it's like damien chazelle's gonna be a star you got to make your la la land before you can like you're not just a donnie darko film director who makes like a one-off and then you're done um lapita why is this Lupita Nyong'o's first leading performance i don't know if it's i don't know if it just hasn't she just hasn't gotten well, why she do hasn't you, been I mean, given roles. Why, why do you think? <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know if it's. Well, I don't know if it because she's won an Oscar. She won an Oscar for Twelve Years a Slave. So I don't know if this. Yeah, is... but that was like strictly like suffering. Like that's, yeah, that's a typical kind of like, Oscar well, movie. I don't. I don't know if yeah. this is like if it's a if it's she isn't getting nominated for or she isn't being given roles because it's hard for a black person to lead a movie. It's hard for a woman to lead a movie. So when you have a black woman, it's hard yeah, to give those spots out. That's the answer. Also I don't know if it's that or I, maybe she's just very picky with the roles that she takes. Maybe she's her, been offered more stuff and she just has been saying no to everything, waiting for a role like this to come about. Yeah, yeah, right. The colorism thing, you're right. But I, I think her skin is gorgeous. That Oh, her, yeah, no. yeah. And then, like the way Jordan like lights like, it yeah Houston, oh man it's so perfect yeah it and, shows, uh, that's the thing it shows that it can be done it shows that like it's not hard and it doesn't ever look bad if anything it looks really good because we're not used to seeing it like this. yeah you know exactly what I mean? it's usually like the trope of the trope is usually the black person dies first and these are the only people who survive wow yeah and also uh 
black women usually get like these thankless roles like what men want or you know like <laughs> yeah. just these trashy roles and and it's so empowering to see this uh to see lupita in this kind of movie and it goes back to the point that you made earlier ray about like just the ultimate flex is that jordan is casting her in a role that's not about her being black um yeah. with the way the oscars are moving i could see the nomination for her that would she be would she i mean though, daniel kaluuya got nominated for get out exactly. so it, it makes yeah. sense good point i mean get out got it only won for screenplay was the only thing it won for but i could see it really like there's a lot of things i actually don't know i think that screenplay is probably the least likely thing that will get nominated here um of like the big awards because i think lupita has a great chance i think his uh peels directing has an amazing chance and i think that we haven't even shouted out michael abels who does the score for this oh, movie yeah the score, the score is amazing. so fucking good yeah. samples taking... take five on it yeah <laughs> oh i got five on it ta- like taking a classic hip-hop rap song and i got five on it and making it one of the most haunting things i played this song at work yesterday and a parent came up to me it was just like hey can you change the song because it's like kind of creeping out my kid <laughs> like it's a fucking 30 year old rap song and it's creeping out children <laughs> i mean we put it on the other night and gaia yeah gaia, gaia made like, us turn off just from the trailers of yeah. the movie she was like no i don't want to hear it's that. the power <laughs> of peel man it's like yeah. i but yeah he's just oh man i could i'm i'll go a step farther i could see her winning it um i, I would love there's the path is there because not only kaluuya in my opinion was not the best part of get out she was the best part of this movie i think she yeah. she was pitch perfect she didn't do a single thing wrong uh and this movie is going it's buzzy like it it's getting like a, a little bit worse reception than get out did just because get out was like astronomical but i see the oscar there for her i don't know if it's gonna unfold her way because there's plenty of shit at play give her two oscars also this is this is march exactly. i mean yeah, this is I'm the saying. best movie of the year but it almost feels like a backhand compliment to say that because but we're comparing it to alita battle angel and triple frontier hey so don't talk shit about alita battle angel. i won't talk shit hey, about triple frontier you either. haven't seen shazam so how about you sit down Best actor. High flying bird, guys. Anybody? Uh, no? I have okay. another prediction. Best actor, Ed Norton. <laughs> in a, in a <laughs> oh, lead battle angel. Hunter, do you have any other final thoughts? Um, I no, I kind of spelled them out with just my biggest takeaways of this movie. Like I just I, I love this movie. I love talking about this movie. Yeah. And I know as soon as we turn off the mics, there's gonna be more things that I'm thinking about about this movie. That's why I like I just, I really, it's hard for me to say like that this is better than Get Out because I think Get Out is so much tighter of a movie, Mm -hmm. but this is, I just, I can't stop thinking about how ambitious this movie is. And I just, I love that for this. Yeah. And on top of that, the theater experience was more than enjoyable. It was was so much fun. Like people, the reactions became less audible toward the end because it was a lot of thinking reactions, but midway through we're it's like we were watching like fucking paranormal activity level like level of like screaming and clapping and shit and it's not the annoying kind like it was the kind where like i was in, i was like in i was like yeah yeah no annoying like it was all like within people's reason when seeing the movie there was no like assholes that were being like over the top or like laughing too loud and the stuff good like kind that. of participation. it was yeah it was good yeah. kinds of audience and, participation and like i said i think that's peel's thing thus far is he makes big theater packed house movies that are deep and that is rare that's amazing yeah we love to see it ray final thoughts um okay let me shoot up because i actually took notes this is like the first time i actually like taken notes during a movie yeah me too man. also because i was very scared because i was seeing this by myself <laughs> and I'm, like, the hugest baby 
So I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. I'm going to take notes on my phone. So it's like, you know, better for my eyes this way. And you know, she'll say like, um, wah. <laughs> Help. So that like really solidified the whole shining, like just Stephen King, like metaphor for whatever for me was like on the barrel of one of the trash cans when they're like the little boy sees that guy when he goes to the bathroom mm. it actually says red rum right on it <laughs> oh and shit. i was like i got so hyped when i saw it yeah <laughs> wow. so as soon as i saw that i was like oh i need to watch this movie again like i need to rewatch it yeah there will be more that we missed yeah yeah and something hunter was saying about like um us like trying to erase our past and just trying to make it like oh, seem make it seem like everything's okay if you notice the first time they go to the mirror house, it's like a Native American spirit to yep. find your spirit animal. The, the second time they go to it, it's like a Merlin's enchanted forest. Yeah, I did. I caught that as well. And it literally, it leads right into the whole thing about us just building this country up over literally just like millions of people's yeah. lives. It's about <laughs> it's, erasure. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Erasure. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't even get catch that. Me either. <laughs> that's fucked. Um, and then the first, um, Sorry, and then like the very first beginning thing you see where it's telling us about like tunnels just threw me off so hard. And I was like, this is perfect. This is I was like, I don't know what this is about, but it's gonna it's gonna tie into the story somehow. Well, it's nice because you don't actually find out anything about tunnels for like an hour, hour and a half into the movie. Like yeah, do we exactly. actually learn about the and tunnels? It just leaves you thinking about it. It's like what is what does that have to do with like anything? Like yeah. And it's just so weird. Yeah. And then like, well, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't know if you mentioned, but the Native American thing is very The Shining. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yep. And Stephen King loves that shit. Yeah. And the it's it's hard to compare these two because uh, Us is much more of like a pop flick. Like it's much more of like a oh, crowd yeah. pleaser, I think. But the way that we're talking about the meanings is very like that shitty documentary on Netflix yeah. about the shining. Yeah. It's very like everyone can take something else away from right. this movie. Us is actually about faking. It's about the faking the moon, moon landing. landing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Lupita also like a big thing is like when they're like, I don't know if you guys know, it's also like when they're eating that meal, when they first get to the house, she's eating like a red strawberry while everyone else is eating like fast food tacos and fries or something. And then, like, in the beginning, she's got that big red apple. Mm. And then their suits, or she's like, these are red suits. Like, it's all, like, all tying in. And she huh. gets more I even covered. I that kind of a thing. She and gets more covered in blood. Yeah, as the she movie kind of on. becomes red. Holy shit. Damn. Yeah, see, I, yeah. I, 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 we should watch it again. <laughs> this movie's amazing. I've seen it twice, and I still didn't even catch all the stuff you yeah. guys were join us next week when we review us again on the pod. <laughs> fuck yeah. dumbo i don't want to see dumbo <laughs> any any other final thoughts ray um no i mean it was i saw it like 10 30 in the morning on a friday like when it officially had come out or whatever i guess it was it wasn't too packed but like honestly it was kind of spare like just sparse everywhere but like people were still reacting like crazy. And like you guys said, not in a bad way at all, but like it was, it was great seeing it in a theater. I definitely want to see it again. Um, no, it was just so good. Dope. Dope. All right. So my final thoughts are, um, pretty, pretty similar to what, you know, you guys have said, it's a great movie, a lot of symbolism, a lot of ways to interpret all of the metaphors and allegory. Uh, I'm definitely a little higher on it after this discussion, for sure. That's why I wanted to kind of 
wait to put a number on it before we talked because now that all of the themes have been unpacked i I definitely feel a lot better about it i i think that it, it it's just a movie that it it's not easy it doesn't offer any easy answers and it makes you think and it makes you really sit down and discuss and and just break it open and see what you can pull out of everything that peel is is presenting to you so just that alone is already enough to to be so grateful that this movie exists and and what it's doing for for movies in general because we don't get enough of these we don't, we don't get enough mummy movies on this scale that are this thought provoking so i yeah. i love that i really recommend it um i think it's it's like i said earlier just solidifies peel i'm ready for twilight zone uh a couple stray observations that didn't come up the staircase the the escalator perfect visualization of oh yes mm-hmm. yeah it feels like you're going into hell well not just that, that but perfect visualization of the the barriers that have been put in place for the lower class to never reach their full potential yeah and the lack of opportunity not just lack of opportunity but the way society actively prevents them from ever hoping that they can reach any sort of opportunity yeah so i thought that was great and the, the movie is just layered with stuff like that um and i love it i think it's great love it no, no escalator going up i was like Ooh. yeah exactly Ooh. yeah the, it only goes down um still don't know how the little girl made it up the <laughs> downstairs escalator but that just goes to the point that like you know it's not a movie that is meant for all of those youtube channels that are like 35 plot holes in us that make it a bad film. Yeah, Cinema Sins is going to go in on this. Yeah, yeah, like fuck that shit. My only my only wish is that it wasn't a science experiment. Yeah, I wish they I wish they just were there. Right. And we just don't even know why. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, luckily we live in the golden age of uh press junkets. Companies are getting a lot smarter with how they handle having 10 minutes or an hour with Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. So you have all these videos on YouTube where it's like all white background and he's literally just explaining like get out. We're going to have that. He's not going to explain everything obviously, but like little symbolisms he'll point out. And That'll I don't, be great. I don't think it's as much about explaining as it is just offering his interpretation. Because yeah. it's not it's not that it's the correct interpretation it's just what he was thinking when he wrote it but yeah. he's so smart about his writing that you can pull all these other crazy things yeah. from it uh anyway so, let's close it up yeah so let's wrap it up thanks for listening thanks for sticking around on this extra long episode of we bought a mic i think this movie demanded it uh but i think we got it all out i think we touched on everything so thank you for listening thank you ray for coming on uh where can we find you online anytime anytime um mainly just hit me up on twitter at mango emoji there's a, there's a little bonus story of my theater experience, if you guys want to check that out. Mm-hmm. I had a free ticket when I went to go see us because of my D-Box seat. You sat in a but, D-Box? Oh, no. Why? Yeah, apparently, well, apparently it wasn't supposed to be D-Box, and um, they came up to me after the, the show or after the movie and were like, hey, were you in the D-Box seat? And I was like, yeah, I thought they were getting on to me about something else I was doing in the seat. Way worse, way worse. But anyway, <laughs> um, like I said, follow me on Twitter for it. But no, they gave me a free movie ticket because apparently it didn't support T Box. So I'm but it wasn't actually it operational. Mm-mm. No, okay. it was a really nice. Well, that's okay, good. good, good. That's good. Sick. Cool. All right, Hunter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Hunt Mobley. H U N T M O B L E Y. Uh, 
Keep a lookout for my list and where us will make it on my top movies of the year. Spoiler, it'll be number one so far. Yeah, uh, probably same. Uh, Twitter at Drew, D-I-E-T-Z-E-N. I I stay popping off. Um, What else can I say? I'm just, I'm on fire. Um, But yeah, uh, hit me up. Okay, and I am at Caldernist, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. And check out at We Bought a Mic on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know uh, what you want to... Uh, hear from us in the coming months. We have Shazam, Pet Cemetery. Oh, next week we got Dumbo, and we're gonna try to do a quick uh, top three Tim Burton. Hopefully, we'll get around to that. And yeah, then we'll be heading into summer with Endgame. I don't know what what else is in April. There's there's a kind of a down week in April. Yeah. I know that there's Shazam and pet cemetery so, and there's another big one that's yeah, coming out tweet at us at we bought a mic email hellboy us. oh yeah that's right we have to yeah, go yeah i might go see that maybe cool looks, yeah. looks cute door yeah. the explorer you just got it now oh fuck. <laughs> yeah missing link the follow-up to kubo and the two strings is missing link stop motion i yeah i believe so okay because it looks, I was looking at it, I was like, is that? The posters are be? everywhere. I don't mm. know what it is. Still haven't seen a trailer yeah. for it. But, All right, yeah. well, hit us up at WeBottomMike at gmail.com. Send us your uh, your recipes, your uh, beautiful nude photos, um, your butts. Manifestos. Yes, yes, all of that. Um, yeah, stick around. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for coming on. Yo, thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll have you on again soon. Uh, So stay tuned. Thanks for listening. We love you. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye.